We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, October the 21st, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend's games. The Gamecocks travel to College Station, Texas, to take on the Aggies, looking for their first ever win in the history of the series. Guys, I'll break down this game in its entirety. First things first, we'll talk Texas A&M. Also, guys, of course, top storylines, key matchups to watch, and keys to the game as well. As again, guys, South Carolina looks for their second SEC win on the 2021 football season. Also, guys, we have your listener questions and a great conversation of the great throwback interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Travian Robertson. Guys, one of the all-time conversations we've ever had here on the airwaves. So again, we've got a packed show, a great show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy, man maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging professional items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. Let's get it. part of life 
some good, some bad. And what a difference a week makes when talking about the Gamecock streak against the Vanderbilt Commodores versus the streak this program currently faces against Texas A&M. All things must eventually come to an end. Is this the year South Carolina finally snaps that streak against the Aggies? Folks, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips. Here's the Spurs Up show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show here on a Thursday. A lot to get into. And again, guys, thank you all so much for taking the time to tune in. I hope this show finds you well, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off. Maybe just maybe you're in class, whatever it is you're doing, folks. Again, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, thank you all so much for taking the time, tuning in. Like I said, I'm fired up. I'm excited, guys, because you know what? We taught best bet. We taught gambling. I think you guys have a pretty good feeling on which way I'm leaning going into this game on Saturday. But when you take a step back, Guys, we are going into week eight of the college football season. Game number eight for South Carolina, which is crazy. I mean, this season has flown by. And you know what? South Carolina can win by 50 or lose by 50. But you know what? Thank God there's college football on Saturday. Thank goodness there's Gamecocks football, if nothing else. So, again, have perspective. Keep perspective. Let it drive you. Let it guide you. You'll be much happier in the long run. But again, excited to talk Gamecocks football again. We are breaking down this game. South going to take it on the Texas A&M Aggies. Before we get into that, guys, just one quick reminder. This Saturday, if you're not going to College Station, my upstate Gamecocks, where you at, would love to party with you guys this weekend because we will be back at Carolina Ale House in the downtown Greenville location. I know there was some confusion Earlier this week in regards to would we, would we be at Woodruff Road? Would we be at downtown Greenville? Yes, we are going to be in downtown. Downtown Greenville location will be at that Carolina Ale House. Guys, of course, doors open at 11. Kickoff's at 7.30. So yours truly will get out there around 5 or 5.30 or so. We'll get out there that afternoon. But again, it's going to be a really fun day, a really fun Saturday, a fantastic venue, a great location. We had an awesome crowd show up last time. So again, would love to see you all out there, out and about Carolina Ale House, downtown Greenville. And by the way, don't forget, if you're with TSUS, if you're there for the watch party, be sure to let them know. They're going to give you 10% off your entire food and drink order you absolutely can't uh, beat it and we appreciate the fine folks at kind of ale house for helping us out there but again carolina ale house the watch party downtown greenville this saturday be sure to check us out all the details are on social media all right guys let's dive into it gamecocks like i said traveling to college station this saturday to take on the texas second aggies 7 30 kickoff on the sec network again the game taking place at kyle field one of the most intimidating atmospheres in all of college football and somehow South kind of got stuck with the night game in that venue either way though it is a night game the Gamecocks like we talked about yesterday a 21 point underdog the over under set at 45 the series history in this one is we're all familiar South kind of has never beaten the Texas A&M Aggies as A&M leads the series seven to nothing the first meeting of course coming in 2014 who can forget guys the Kenny Trill game I was actually at that game um Yeah, what a rough one. What a rough one that was kicking off the SEC network. That was really the beginning of the end for the Steve Spurrier era and the beginning of the end for that great run for Gamecocks football from 2010 
2013. Um, and South Carolina, for whatever reason, it's just never been a game. It's never been a team that the Gamecocks have been able to figure out. Of course, guys, last year, the last meeting, Texas A&M came into Williams-Brice Stadium and beat the Gamecocks 48-3, to which really served as the end of the road for Will Muschamp. I mean, I, I think most of us agree this was the game that really turned the tide for most people. People said, okay, Will Muschamp, he isn't the guy. We heard about boosters getting all upset after this game, and, you know, basically shit just hit the fan. Uh, the last two meetings, by the way, guys, I, I know I said yesterday I combined 86 to 6. That is inaccurate, but it's still not much better. You've lost 48 to 3 and 30 to 6. So a combined score of 78 to 9. You have lost to AM the last two meetings. Can the Gamecocks somehow, if nothing else, even if you don't win, keep this thing close and competitive? Texas AM guys, their head coach, Jimbo Fisher. We all know about Coach Fisher, obviously, building that program. It done a fantastic job in recruiting. And obviously, they came into this season with really high expectations. Guys, I actually picked Texas AM in the preseason to go 11 and 1. Did not expect their early season struggles. They are 5 and 2 right now. Two and two in the SEC, and what a crazy season it's been for them. You start out winning your first three games, non-conference, beating Kent State, Colorado, and New Mexico. They did lose their starting quarterback. They then lost back-to-back -back games to Arkansas and Mississippi State before really turning a corner and reeling off back-to-back -back wins. Again, of course, the big one, beating Alabama, the number one-ranked Crimson Tide at Kyle Field, 41-38, to an incredible game, beating them on a game-winning field goal and then taking care of Missouri last weekend, guys, 35-14. to 14. The Aggies went on the road and won that game in Como. So, again, been a bit, been a bit of a mixed bag. How good is A&M? Did they turn a corner when they beat Alabama? Uh, looking at the statistics, A&M is averaging 27 points per game this season and giving up just 16 points per game. They've struggled a little bit lately with the passing game. Haven't thrown it nearly as well, but Isaiah Spiller, a great run game, a big, big physical offensive line. They got a really, really talented defense, and that's the one thing you can say about A&M. They might have questions, but they've got talent littered all over the field, guys. Again, you don't beat number one Alabama if you're not a talented football team. So plenty of talent in College Station. Again, they'll roll that out on the field Saturday night against the Gamecocks. All right, let's move to our top storylines, guys. And I really kicked the show off with this one, but it's just so crazy. Another week, another streak. And how different those streaks are. We were talking last week, the Gamecocks made it 13 straight wins over the Vanderbilt Commodores. This week, you come in to face a team you have never beaten in the history of your school, 7-0. A&M is against South Carolina. When is this streak going to end? That's really my question. I don't think any of us are expecting the Gamecocks to go out there this Saturday night and get the W, but at some point, right, at some point, South Carolina has to beat Texas A&M. I mean, it can't go on forever. And I will tell you this, and this is no indictment on Shane Beamer or any of the coaching staff or really anybody right now, but it's so tough for me and I think for others as well, to feel like your program is on a positive trajectory when you have a seven and what's most likely going to turn into an eight-game losing streak against any opponent. I, I don't know what it is. The matchup hasn't been great. There have been some close games sprinkled in there. But for the most part, A&M has just taken care of you. I mean, they have taken care of of business. So again, it's just crazy going from week to week how there are streaks in college football. There are streaks amongst opponents. This one is the complete opposite of what we saw last week. At some point, that streak's going to be snapped. At some point, South Carolina is going to beat Texas A&M. Is it going to be this year? I don't know. Most likely not. But again, 7-0 and is where A&M sits on you right now. 
What do you think? Do you think it'll get to double digits? Do you think they'll get to 12, 14, 6? I mean, how many games in a row will Texas A&M realistically win over South Carolina? I think it certainly could hit double digits. I, You know, it's just, again, it's always a bad matchup for the Gamecocks. Lately, especially the last two years, they have really pulled away from you. And a has been building that program under Jimbo Fisher and been doing a phenomenal job doing so. But uh, it's just crazy, man, the, the streaks that surround Gamecock football right now. Of course, again, last week, a really positive streak, 13 straight wins for Vandy. And then this streak, you look at a really just a negative, ugly streak. And I know Shane Beamer and his staff are going to look to snap really, really soon. ASAP, obviously. But again, will it happen this year? I don't know. But at some point, you would hope, at least in the near future, that streak will be snapped and the Gamecocks will get their first ever win over the Texas a and Aggies. Guys, another top storyline, of course, the big thing everybody's talking about going to this football game. And, of course, the news, the bombshell that dropped on Tuesday afternoon, we talked about on the show yesterday, Zeb Noland officially taken over as QB1 as Luke Doty is out for the remainder of the 2021 football season with his Foot injury. My big thing is this, guys. What should we expect offensively with Zeb Nolan at the helm? And also, what should we expect from Zeb Nolan himself? Here's the thing. I love the story of Zeb Nolan. I think we all do. Uh, it's a fantastic story. You know, everybody's joked about Zeb Nolan making a movie about his career, making a Disney movie, all that good stuff. Um, it's going to get very real for Zeb Nolan this Saturday night, though. And again, he's taken over the rest of the season. Will we see any Jason Brown? Will we see any Colton Gothier? I highly doubt it. I think they're going to give the reins fully to Zeb Nolan. Um, but listen, the last drive against Vandy was, was awesome, right? It was great. It was stuff of legends. I think, and I'm not the only one that isn't overreacting to that one drive, just because I still recall the shortcomings and how bad Zeb Nolan looked against a bad East Carolina defense. Uh, I, I think the realities of Zeb Nolan are there in regards to what he can do and what he cannot do. I think your offense all of a sudden becomes extremely one-dimensional with Zeb Nolan in the center. But again, what does he have in store? How different does the offense look? You know, I was talking all preseason long how you need to be a 70 to 30 you know, run to pass team. Your strengths running the football. You're going to use your quarterback's mobility and athleticism. Throw all that out the window. Throw all that out the window because I could argue with you that South Carolina needs to be a pass heavy offense. They need, they at least need to try that. Um, so again, what realistically can Zeb Nolan give you? Because again, I said it earlier this week and I referenced this yesterday. You know, when I made the comment of fans are going to get what they've been asking for, I was not making that comment in a negative, derogatory tone to Zeb Nolan. But yes, the Doty slander got old week after week after week. And hey, we're really going to find out what type of player Zeb Nolan is against Texas A&M. Because A&M, really, really good players on the defensive front. Great play. They got great players all over that defense and all over that football team. So is Zeb Nolan ready to step up to the plate and have a night against a really good Texas A&M defense? Again, how much difference does the offense look? Does Zeb Nolan, can he carry over some of that magic we saw against Vanderbilt? Again, it's Vanderbilt. You know, we've seen him in limited action this season. EIU, throw it out the window. For a half against East Carolina, he was abysmal. Then he comes back in the second half, plays much better. We saw him throw two passes against Georgia, and one of them was a deep pass to, to Josh Van. That was a really good throw. So I'm not sure anybody really knows what to expect from Zeb Nolan. Again, the drive against Vandy was great, but things are about to get very real this Saturday. So 
What can Zeb Nolan do? Can he command this offense? If anything else, can he just bring a calming scent to the offense where maybe you're not seeing as much self-inflicted wounds and maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a, a calming presence that a veteran guy like Zeb Nolan can bring to these dudes. But again, a very tall task for sure. How can, how does Marcus Satterfield and this offensive staff, how do they maximize his strengths? Because again, his strength is not running the football. It's not getting outside the pocket. He's a dude a traditional pocket passer, drop back three, five steps, get it out. What type of passing concepts can they develop this week that puts him in the best possible position to be successful and therefore puts this team in the best possible position to have success? Going to the other side of the ball, guys, one of my top storylines. South Carolina's defense. Now, I've been very hesitant to come down pretty hard or hard at all in the defense this season because they've played their tails off, right? And they've given South Carolina every opportunity to win football games week after week after week. But the one deficiency that really sticks out like a sore thumb and the one that it's really almost tough to comprehend because it's your, your best position, you know, arguably on your entire football team, the lack of effectiveness against the run. And South Carolina has really struggled stopping the run game. And they will be tested Saturday. There's no question. You know, A&M with Isaiah Spiller, uh, they got a deep running back room. They can run the football. There's no doubt. Can the USC defensive line rise to the occasion and step up? Again, I expect your defense to fight, scratch, and claw. I think Clayton White will have a good game plan put together. But A&M is a football team. I know they have problems. Yes, they've got Calzada in there, who's not their starting quarterback from day one. But they can score on you, and they can score in a hurry. Just look at that Alabama tape, if you don't believe me. You're going to be leaning on your defensive front. You're going to be leaning on that defensive line. Guys, it's all about stopping the run. If Texas A&M gets the run game going against you, if Isaiah Spiller gets loose, you're going to have absolutely no chance to keep up in this one. Because I think we all agree, if South Carolina is going to do something crazy and pull the upset or even come close to doing so, it's going to have to be a lower-scoring game. Uh, if the A&M run game gets going, I, I just don't see you having much of a chance at all to stop them defensively and therefore keep this game close into the second half. So again, we've been praising that Gamecocks defensive line all season long. If, if you're truly an elite line, if that's how you view yourself, I want to see this line step up in this football game. Stop the run. Hold A&M to less than 200 yards rushing. If you can honestly do that, I will be pretty happy at the end of the day. Hold A&M at bay on the ground, make them throw the football, get them in some obvious passing situations. It all starts with those big uglies up front. Again, the Gamecocks defensive line, can they step up in a game where you really need them? Uh, another big storyline for me, guys, again, I mentioned the Alabama game, that Texas A&M obviously shook the college football world when they beat Alabama. How good is Texas A&M really? I think that's a very fair question because, again, they were bad. Before that Bama game, they were bad losing to Arkansas, which I'll respect, you know, Arkansas is a good football team, but lost to Arkansas 20 to 10, then lost to Mississippi State at home, by the way, lost at home to the Bulldogs 26 to 22. I mean, people in, you know, College Station thinking to themselves, oh my God, Jimbo Fisher, what are we doing? What's going on? Then they beat Alabama. Then they take care of Mizzou 35 to 14. So who really is this? A&M team. Are they the team that beat Alabama 41 to 38 or are they the team that lost to Mississippi State at home 26 to 22, right? Who is this team? 
Who is this A&M team? How good are they really? And again, the, the expectations before the season were sky high. People were talking about them possibly being like a, like a you know, a, a fourth team in the playoff and, and going, you know, I picked them to go 11 and one in the preseason. So just how good is A&M? We're going to find that out very quickly, I think, on Saturday night. But, uh, you know, the Aggies are really talented football team. Why is it not clicked? No idea. But I'm really intrigued to see just, just what is – what is this Texas A&M team? We'll look at it that way. What is this Texas A&M team, if you will? My final top storyline, guys, is this one. And win, lose, or draw, and no matter what the score is, my question is this. Watching this team last week at Williams-Brice Stadium, the thing that sticks out to you more than anything is that this is a Gamecocks football team that just simply can't get out of its own way. It just, they just can't do it. I don't know if they can't handle prosperity. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know what the issue is. But every time something good starts to happen, there's a turnover, there's a back-breaking penalty, just something silly happens. So my final storyline, guys, is this. And watching this football game, it, I, I don't know if it's going to happen at any point this season, but can South kind of just get out of their own way? I mean, can they just simply get out of their own way? We're not asking them to go make some crazy plays or or, or play it, you know, beyond your, you know, play play above your skill level or, you know, you know, whatever. But can the Gamecocks simply just not do dumb things and stay out of their own way? Can South kind of not make the game harder than it already is? Because that's exactly what the Gamecocks are doing, right? The turnovers. The penalties, I mean, if you have a similar game to what we saw against Vandy with four turnovers and 10 penalties, you will lose this game by 40. There's no doubt in my mind. So, again, I expect the Gamecocks to be able to do some decent things here and there, no doubt. When they do, though, when, when South kind of starts to build a little bit of momentum, can they just get out of their own way? Can they get out of their own way? And Shane Beaver made that point, guys. We talked about it yesterday. He made that point in his Tuesday presser, like, hey, we're fumbling the ball. We're getting called for penalties. That's not on play calling. And I know that, I, you know, I, I, apparently I saw there were some Gamecock fans that were upset, like, oh, Shane Beamer, he's, he's blaming the players. He's not taking accountability. Well, guys, everybody has to take accountability. Coaches can only do so much. It's up to players to go make plays. And when players are committing penalties, when they're not taking care of the football, that's not on coaching, guys. That's not on coaching. At least it's not all on coaching. Players have to do those things. Players have to take care of the football. Players have to be smart and not commit dumb penalties. So can the Gamecocks just get out of their own way? Because if you can't, you have absolutely no chance in this game. I mean, the odds that you win are already a long shot. But if you can't get out of your own way, it's going to be a very, very, very long night in college station guys all right let's move into key matchups to watch in this football game and i mentioned the run game and stopping the run and how pivotal and how important that is for this south kind of football team well i'm starting up front guys and a guy that's been really good for you thus far this season he is quietly having a really good year defensive lineman zach pickens going going up against the really talented running back from texas a&m that is running back Isaiah Spiller. Guys, Spiller, 659 yards on the season, 6.3 yards per carry, and four touchdowns this year. I know many fans were upset. Chris, we're not getting respected. Why are you going to put that AM running back room ahead of, of Kevin Harris and, you know, this, that, whatever? Well, you're seeing it. You're seeing it because, uh, yeah, 
Spiller and that, that crew's having a pretty darn good year, if you ask me. One of the best running backs in the SEC, guys. Again, really tough to bring down. Really, really shifty. Uh, fantastic player. It all starts in the middle. And a guy like Zach Pickens truly leading that charge. Can he be that big body in the middle? Of the game? Had a really good last couple of weeks. He's had a really good last couple of weeks. I really like what I've seen here, guys. Also, Devin, Devin Akon, I think. I don't know how you say his name, but Devin, the other running back, number six. He's ran for 453 yards, 6.9 yards per carry, and four touchdowns as well. AM rushing for 174, 175 really yards per game on the ground. So again, it's going to be a challenge. It starts up front. It starts in the middle. So defensive lineman Zach Pickens, you need a very, very big game from the former five-star recruit. Guys, let's do my second key matchup. And again, new quarterback. It's Zeb season. Welcome to the big time. Welcome to the big show, my friend, going on the road to College Station. Quarterback Zeb Noland against the really talented defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal. And guys, listen to these stats. Leal has 35 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, and five and a half sacks, guys. One of the most treacherous pass rushers in all of college football. And the reason I list Zeb Noland against this guy because not only is he going to have to try to evade him and, and, and get plays off and get passes off, but Zeb Nolan is probably going to be the one calling the protections. And so it's going to be up to Zeb Nolan to make sure he knows where big DeMarvin Leal is and make sure he puts this offensive line in the best possible position to not get beat by this guy. So again, there's going to be a bit of a cat and mouse game, I think, if you will. It'll be up to Zeb Nolan to make the right calls, to make the right checks, to make the right reads, and to get the football out on time this is not a game where you can afford to sit back there hold on to the ball hold on the ball and just hope something good happens you got to get rid of it so again quarterback zeb nolan against defensive lineman demarvin leo going to be a really fun one to watch on saturday night guys finally let's move in the passing game right AM can throw it too they got a pretty damn good receiver some damn good playmakers on the outside Jalen Foster has been your go-to guy your, your dude that week after week after week after week he continues to bring it. So safety Jalen Foster against wide receiver Anias Smith. And guys, you might recall that name that name because Anias Smith absolutely tore up the Alabama secondary just a few weeks ago. Smith, 319 yards and six touchdowns on the season. He is their big play guy on the outside. Again, Jalen Foster going to need to have a fantastic game in this one in coverage uh, because I've been talking about running game, how important that is. But you know, the secondary is still an issue. We saw that against Vanderbilt, and certainly A&M's got the, got the weapons to make you pay in this one. So, again, Jalen Foster against Anaya Smith. What's crazy, guys, before I get off key matchups, what's crazy, I didn't even mention their big tight end, Jalen Watermeyers. That'll be another big, another big matchup in this one, guys. Um, can you hold up against him? Because you know they're going to go to him early and often because he is a mismatch nightmare for sure. It'll be interesting to see how the Gamecocks can hold up against that all right, let's move into our keys. Of the game, guys. What does South gonna have to do to pull the upset in College Station, guys? It is week eight. At this point, you are who you are, and what I mean by that is this: you can't run the football, and you don't even have the benefit anymore of having Luke Doty, who gave you some sort of a semblance of getting outside the pocket and scrambling and making things happen with his leg. For that reason. My first key to the game, guys, you know what? Screw it. You're not expecting to win anyways. Air it out. Throw the football. Push it downfield. Use Zeb Nolan's strength. I, I, just, I just don't see a scenario in which you're going to run the ball 50 times and win this game. You can't run it, guys. You can't run it. 
I don't see anything changing from here on out to tell me that, oh, you're going to run the ball. You are a 3.5 yards per carry football team. That is who you are. So at this point, you got to try to get those guys on the outside, the Josh Vans, the Jaheim Bells, the EJ Jenkins, the Juju McDowells, the, the, the Dak Joiners, the Leggett's. Try to use those guys. The Nick Muses, try to use them. Try to push the ball downfield. Try to win with a passing game because the running game is simply not doing it for you this season. Again, you got a quarterback back there who you feel like that is his strength, throwing the football down the field. So, again, my first key, air it out. Let it all loose. Let's work in the passing game. My second key to the game, and you can say start fast. You can say get an early turnover, early touchdown, do this, do that, but you've got to find a way to silence the 12th man. And that's going to be much easier said than done. But, uh, you know, combating that crowd, if you let that crowd get into it early and stay involved, it's just going to be really, really tough for you to do anything offensively, especially. So, again, finding a way to quiet the 12th man, silence the 12th man, some early success, an early defensive stop, an early touchdown would go a long way in having a successful night with this football team. Guys, finally, my final key to the game. And this one might sound obvious. But it's true. This one might sound obvious, but it's true. If you're going to, number one, even keep this game competitive, but number two, if you're going to win, listen, A&M's going to move the football up and down the field, right? They're, they're, they're going to get their yards. They're a good football team. I think Isaiah Spiller's a fantastic running back. Uh, Calzada, their quarterback, has done a phenomenal job. They got weapons on the outside. They got a big physical offensive line. But avoiding the big play and avoiding the costly mistakes, guys, I talked about getting out of your own way, the targetings, the personal fouls, the false starts, the, the dumb turnovers, those are costly mistakes that if you commit those, this game will get away from you and get away from you in a hurry. Avoid the costly mistake. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Here's my plea for South going to go out there and play a boring, clean football game. How great that would be to see this football team do that. So, again, my three keys to the game. Number one, air it out. Number two, silence the 12th man. And number three, avoid costly mistakes. You do, you do those three things, I think you might, just might have an opportunity to win the football game this weekend over Texas A&M. So, again, guys, that's my breakdown of this Saturday's game against the Aggies. Would love to hear from you, your key matchups, your keys to the game. What are you thinking? What are your feelings about this game? As, again, South Carolina looks to snap its seven-game losing streak to Texas A&M and get their first-ever win over the Aggies. Of course, guys, you know I'll have my score prediction dropping on tomorrow's podcast. But, uh, yeah, that is the full breakdown of Texas a&M. Guys, before we get into our interview, let's get into your listener questions. We do have a few here. Josh B. Moore 33 says, is it Sats play calling that's the issue or lack of personnel to carry out the plays? It's a little bit of both. Now, listen, everyone should shoulder the blame. It's, it's not just one thing. Everything's at fault. You know, Satterfield, his play calling certainly could have been much better this season. But yeah, I mean, is this, is this, is this, is this team fighting an uphill battle in regards to the roster and the deficiencies and what it has and what it doesn't have? Absolutely. You need playmakers, man. There, there, there are problems on this football team that are only going to be solved in recruiting. So, again, it's a little bit of both. Everyone should shoulder the blame. Austin G underscore 45 says, besides winning, what do you want to see as we're in week eight of the season? Just progression, man. Uh, cleaning up the dumb stuff, the penalties, the turnovers. Again, I can handle losing. And I think this fan base 
can handle losing as well, especially in a game, guys, when you're on the road at night and you're a three-touchdown underdog. But don't get embarrassed. Don't do stupid things that make it look like – I mean, we do some things, guys, it looks like it's our, our first football game ever. You know, show progression in that regard. Don't do stupid things. Don't commit stupid penalties. Don't make dumb errors. Just play a clean football game. And you know what? If you get beat, you get beat. That's totally fine. But these self-inflicted errors and wounds, it's just really hard to watch. And it's, it's, it's unacceptable, to be honest with you. Um, seven, DJP7, what is Doty's actual injury? Will he redshirt? I'm not exactly sure what the injury is. Uh, I think he's played in too many games. I don't think that he can redshirt. I don't know, though. He could get a medical, I think. Hank Bobo 34 says, biggest change that needs to happen in order to get the W. Uh, offensive line needs to block. I, I don't know, man. You know, again, the biggest change needs to happen, not shooting yourself in the foot every single drive. How about that? Um, Bomba Zoo K.A. Joe says, should we pursue Spencer Rattler? In theory, I love it. You know, I understand he's he's a knucklehead and not great in the locker room, but, man, what a splash that would be. What what a splash that would be if the Gamecocks somehow got Spencer Rattler. Um, Chris Dottorell, since Zeb is starting, how do we feel about Van going over 150 yards receiving? I, that feels a little aggressive. 150 is a lot. I, I don't think I'd take the over on that. Uh, last question, always a Gamecock says, how have we addressed the run game to keep from being one-dimensional? I mean, always a Gamecock, again, like I told you, man, we're in week eight. What can you do at this point? Well, what can be done? I mean, again, you are who you are. I hate to tell you always a Gamecock, but the fact of the matter is this. If, if you are able to run the football at any point in the last five games, I'd be totally shocked. You're, you're, a, you're a three to three and a half yard per carry football team. That's just who you are. That's the story of this season, bottom line. So um, I'd love to be surprised. I truly would. But I think that's just the reality of this football team right now. You're, you're, you're just not very good running. Uh, you're going to have to lean on the passing game, which, you know, is worrisome for sure. But that's just where you are right now. Bottom line, that's it. That's where you are. And that's how you're going to have to operate. And, you know, we'll see what you can do from there. But, again, I uh, appreciate the listener questions, guys. I appreciate you always being engaging, interactive. Truly, guys, thank you all so much for that. Always makes it a good time here on the show. All right. Don't go anywhere. We have a fantastic conversation a great interview, a throwback interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Travian Robertson. Guys, again, this one coming over the summer of 2019. And like I told you, uh, this is one of the all-time conversations we've ever had on the airwaves. Really, really good stuff. So, again, guys, enjoy this one. Appreciate you all tuning in, guys. Again, thank you all so much for the continued love and support. Hope to see you on Saturday at Carolina Ale House in downtown Greenville. Like I said, in case you're wondering, my score prediction will drop tomorrow as it does each and every single Friday on the podcast. So again, stay tuned for that guys. I'm out. Appreciate you all. Have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks defensive lineman, Travian Robertson. All right. Joining us today on the Spurs up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2007 to 2011. He amassed 123 total tackles, 21 tackles for a loss, and six and a half sacks over his Gamecocks career. He was part of some of the best defensive lines in school history. He helped lead South Carolina to the 2010 SEC East Championship in their only appearance in Atlanta for the SEC title game. He was also a seventh-round NFL draft pick in 2012 by the Atlanta Falcons and played in the NFL for the Falcons, Seahawks, and Redskins. And he also serves currently as the defensive line coach at Georgia State. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks defensive lineman Travian Robertson. Travian, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. 
For sure. So, Travian, let's jump right into it. Let's start with the beginning from you. You were a prospect, four-star prospect from Laurenburg, North Carolina. Uh, you played for Scotland High School. Again, a very highly touted recruit. You chose the Gamecocks over North Carolina, Clemson, NC State, and Virginia Tech. Talk to me, you know, Travian, I also, also was reading you went through an injury, I believe, your junior year of high school, which uh, I'm sure threw you kind of for a loop with, the, with your recruiting and stuff like that. But just kind of talk about the recruitment for you. Um, what it was like, I guess, being such a highly touted recruit, and what eventually led you to the decision to choose to come to South Carolina over all those other schools I mentioned? Um, honestly, growing up in um, North Carolina, I was a huge Tar Heel fan at one point. And um, it was uh, – to keep it, to keep this more it – was, it was crazy when I had, had that injury in um, my junior year in high school. Um, it was on a Friday night, and I'll never forget that Wednesday – I was, you know, down and depressed and um, just worried about how recruitment was going to go since I had the energy. I mean, injury. And um, my head coach walked in the weight room and handed me an offer letter from uh, UNC Tar Heels. And I got all excited because I've always been a big fan. And uh, I was about to commit there and everything. And um went in to commit. And they was trying to back out of the scholarship. And now – and they didn't want me to commit. And it was like, no, nah, you should wait. And um, so I got upset. I was like, I've been, you know, following you guys my whole life. And this is where I want to go. And um, so under, I didn't understand it at 17 years old. I didn't understand, you know, why. Obviously, I had a bum knee. And, you know, they didn't want to take a chance on me, which now I understand. So senior year, came back and, you know, had a great year. And then Tar Heels started to call my phone more. And I didn't want no parts of them. And, um Coach Lauren was the guy that recruited – well, not recruited me, but he was the guy that kind of, you know, offered me um, when I went to camp. So he switched jobs, got to North Carolina, and my relationship with him was, you know, it was a good, close relationship. And um, I didn't really know much about um, the Gamecocks, and he just told me, hey, give us a chance. And um, when I went and saw the family-like atmosphere, you know, Coach Spurrier was a legend. I was like, hey, this is just right in my backyard. Let me, you know, give him a shot. And I just kept taking visits. And the more I took visits, the more I kept falling in love with the place. And obviously it's a, it's a lot more glamorous now than it was when I was getting recruited. But it wasn't about the facilities. I mean, it was just the people. Um, the coaches was my decision to, you know, go to South Carolina, just the relationships that we built over time and everything that they pretty much told me that was going to happen. There was no lie. There was no recruiting um recruiting game just to get me there everything that they said was going to happen happened I graduated I played a significant amount of time and um, they took care of me um anything I needed as far as injury wise they made sure I was you know I, I had it and um it was just that was what, what I wanted I felt that every time I walked into place I felt like hey they're not lying to me they're not just selling me stuff for recruiting wise they they're honestly going to take care of me they're going to um Everything they said is actually out on the table, and I can see it. So that was the reason my real big decision was just the coaches really um, took care of us and did did what they said it was going to do for us, you know, pushing us to work hard, winning, um, and making sure we was going to graduate. And it was tough, but, it, you know, we did it. Traven, you mentioned uh, Coach Brad Lawing uh, in, in that statement when you were talking. You know, I, I feel like Brad Lawing is somebody a lot of Gamecock fans talk about Revere. You know, obviously, again, he coached some of the best defensive lines, probably the best defensive lines in school history. Talk about just what it was like playing for Brad Lawing and your relationship with him and just what made him such a good defensive line coach. Um, he it was, it was with my situation. I can't speak for everyone else, but my personal relationship with him, he knew – 
what it took for me to get better. He knew what it took to push me, I guess, the extra mile. And he knew how to pick my brain. He knew when I wasn't being truthful to him. It was like almost like, you know, a dad away from home. You know, you couldn't get away with him. But when it came down to came down to just me being he, he didn't try to change me as a player. He critiqued my style of playing. And he, he saw what type of player I was. And, and um, he put great players around me also. He just – he knew how to match us up on the field in the lineup. He knew what it took and his – he was all about being a technician, and um, he showed us techniques. He had all types of drills to push us in practice. And he was just a player's coach. He, um, one great thing I say about Coach Long is that he was a he was a great recruiter. He he knew he knew talent. He knew when guys was going to be good, and he knew when guys wasn't going to be good. And um, he just he just knew he got a knack for recruiting. And uh, he just always pushed us, and he tried to get the best out of us at every practice. He was all about practicing hard. And when game time come, we, you know, we didn't understand. He was tough on us. He showed us tough love. But when game time come, he made sure we was having fun. He made sure we relaxed and we had fun, and he kept us together. So that's what one thing I, I noticed a lot of people love about him is um, he made sure we had fun while we was working hard. Travian, I want you to talk about it. It's funny because we've had a, your former teammates, Stephen Garcia, Cliff Matthews, yeah. Pat DeMarco on this show, and all you guys yeah. were part of the 2007 recruiting class, which I know the state newspaper did a piece on. And, you know, it's funny yeah. when I Googled you, uh, when I Googled you, Googled you Travian, I was looking up, uh, you know, that class 2007, and there's a specific picture of you, Stephen Garcia, Chris Culliver, Cliff Matthews, yeah. a couple other guys in the uh, – I guess it was what the East West game or something like that. But right, just right, just talk right. about being a part of that 2007 class. I think a lot of people look back at that one and say that's the one that really turned the tide or changed the culture, if you will, in the Spurrier era. Well, we kind of made a bomb. We kind of got close at that game. Man. We we was kind of shocked at how many guys that we kind of you know saw on little social media. Social media wasn't really that much involved back then, but we kind of like okay, well this guy got signed. I'm mean, and then when we got to Fort Lauderdale, when we got there, we was like, hey, man, I saw you sign with South Carolina. And honestly, it was a lot of guys that hated our bond that we had. We all stuck together. When when they saw us hanging out, we'd go out and eat. It was like, oh, those are guys that's committed to South Carolina. And when we saw that, we was like, hey, man, this is what we got to do. It's going to be on us to change the, the culture around here. And we kind of – we was accepted well when we got there. Um the older guys, you know, accepted as well. But it was, to me, my personal experience, it was like, I can't wait to be a senior. I can't wait to be a leader. I can't wait. Because it was, that's what we was lacking. We was lacking that 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 leadership. We was lacking that. We had the talent. I look back now, I was like, man, we had some talent where if we could do it all over again and have the leadership to go with that talent, we, we would be unstoppable. So um, it, it I think that it took us a long time to get that leadership going. But that class alone, it was not just talent. We had a lot of guys that was wanting to win. And and then you think about um, the guys that came behind us, they kind of like piggyback on there, okay, Stefan and Alshon and the Marcus, they came in very hungry. And um, that's what led to the success while I was there. Uh, we just had – we was focused. We was more focused and we hated losing. Um, and, you know, the 11-2 season, those two games ate us up. And, you know, if we could have – we could play six years in college, we would – we would have did it just to erase those two two game losses and try to do it all over because it was all about satisfying the fans and the fan support was um, driving us to do better. You know, just 
coming out in the home game and seeing eighty something, almost ninety something thousand fans, it's like, oh, we we gotta we gotta go out here and play our butts off because you know people actually pay good money to come watch us perform and. And it's almost, and I tell guys now, you know, when when you step in the stadium like that, you you are the the Jay Z, the Beyonce. People pay money to see you perform, so go put on the show. And um, that's what we always try to do every um, every week. We try to put on the show. It was like we was the superstars, and and they was come and watch us um, perform. We was the entertainers, and when we got a we got a taste for that, and it just kept going. Got came became contagious. Let's jump into 2007, Travian, for you, because it was a very successful freshman year for you. You played in all 12 games, um, credited with seven tackles, four solo tackles, pass breakup, quarterback hurry. Uh, big thing, you were the only true freshman in the starting lineup for the season opener, opener against Louisiana Lafayette. So you were a guy that right. maybe the statistics didn't necessarily show, but as a true freshman, you definitely had success early and saw early playing time. Talk about the transition going from high school football to college football and what made it so smooth for you that you were able to crack the starting lineup immediately? Well, I had to grow up quick. Um, I had to grow up real quick. Um, I'll never forget that summer. I was a freshman and um, my head was still spinning with just, you know, I graduated high school early, so I I was still technically supposed to be in in high school when a lot of stuff was going on. And, um, I'll never forget we opened up, we reported for summer camp and Coach Lawn, he just walked in and said, You you're my starting DN. I was like, Whoa, I was just looking at him. <laughs> and um he was like, You you're gonna have to do it and I was like, Okay. And um I was excited but I was nervous because, like I said, they, you know, I, I came on visits as a recruit and saw the saw the fans and I saw the stadium, how it was rocking. But it was my first game. I'm thinking like, you know, they threw me in a fire and I had I had those tackles, but I, I realized that it was business when I felt good. We won, and Coach Long came in. He said, "You know, you had all those tackles, but you missed five tackles," and that woke me up. Like, oh, this is you know, Coach. You, you, I had I had like seven tackles, Coach. Well, you missed five. You could have had twelve. And I was like, "You're right." And that woke me up. Like, hey, this is a business, you know. You got to really work to be great in this league. And, and that, that really, that day, it was like, yeah, you did that against Louisiana Lafayette, but in a few more weeks, we got the Bulldogs coming in. And they're going to pick on you. If I'm going to start you, they're going to pick on you. And, and that woke me up. I was like, I really got to work harder. I really got to eat better. I really got to sleep better because this SEC is no joke. I was I was happy about Louisiana Lafayette, but when we had to play Georgia, he was, he was like, hey, you got to bring your big boy pants this game. And you can't miss tackles against Noshar Marino. You can't miss tackles against these guys. You got to make those tackles. And um, that kind of woke me up as an early freshman. And um, I had to really slow slow the game down because coming out of high school, guys are bigger, faster, stronger than you think they are. And so I had to slow the game down myself and actually started studying. I didn't know how to study the game. Um, it, it woke me up. It really showed me what SEC ball was about just starting that, that freshman year. That game itself was like, oh, you're right. We do got to play LSU. We do got to play Mississippi State. I'm excited about Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette. And don't get me wrong, that was a good team. But, you know, we just had um, a conference play that we had to go, and I had to go fight harder in the conference play. Travian, very interesting matchup that year. You guys travel to Chapel Hill to play the North Carolina Tar Heels, and you've already mm-hmm. talked about sort of your history with UNC. You're a North Carolina guy. You played in that mm-hmm. game. You recorded one tackle in that game. But talk more so to me about 
the emotions of going up to Chapel Hill, kind of going back home to your home state, if you, I'm sure you had a lot of family and friends in attendance for that one. Just talk about what the emotions were like for you going to play against the school that, like you said, maybe wasn't as loyal to you as you were loyal to them growing up. Uh, I had a little, I had a little chip on my shoulder going back, and my whole my entire family was at that game. I was more nervous again, um, and also Coach Lawn, you know, he was going back to Chapel Hills. It, it was a lot of emotion going into that game, and um, I, I was glad we won, but um, I had too much emotion going on in that game where I couldn't concentrate and and make the plays that I should have made. I'm glad we won because I, I had a terrible game that game. That was one of my worst games because I was playing with too more, too much emotion instead of playing to have fun and playing to win. I was really trying to go out and, you know, kill those guys. And, and as I'm trying to do that, I wasn't concentrating on what I was supposed to be concentrating on was actually winning. And, um, but I learned my lesson from that. I was like, I, said, I was a freshman. Um, and that year was, a, it was a, that was a tough year for, for me as a freshman because, like I said, I saw the talent that we had on our team, but we was not clicking that year. And um, after that North Carolina game, um, i never forget. Because that game was a tough game for us. We fought hard in that game. And um, Coach Spurrier came in and he said, um, we didn't play well. We won the game, but we didn't play well. And he said that uh, we was either going to go 11-0 or 12-0 or 6-6 and if we keep playing. And then the next week, Vanderbilt came in and, you know, um, beat the crap out of us at home game. It was a 12 o'clock game. And that's when I, I realized we didn't have – we was lacking leadership. We was lacking because we had the talent. We was just lacking leadership. But that Tar Heel game was uh, – it was a tough one for me. I'm glad we won it because um, I had a lot of hate mail just for committing to South Carolina. Uh, I had a lot of people rooting against me in my hometown. Um, so that game meant a lot to me. No doubt. So it, it's kind of interesting, Trayvon, that you bring up that point because obviously that season is very infamous, infamously known for you guys beat North Carolina, ranked sixth in the country. Um, and it's mm -hmm. funny, that Vanderbilt game is actually the last time that South Carolina's lost to Vanderbilt going on 11 straight years now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think any any South Carolina Gamecock fan, any every South Carolina Gamecock fan remembers that game against South Carolina. The yeah. Huge upset pulled at home. Um, yeah. I mean, did you, like you were saying, you, you sensed the lack of leadership and things of that nature. Did you sense what was to come in losing five straight games and not going to a bowl game? Uh, yeah, that was, I think that was one of the main issues. You, we can't, you, I, I just feel like the, the talent, if I, you know, name guys, we had Jerry Cook, we had the, the, the Brinkley brothers, we had all those talents. We had Carlos, we had everybody that you can, and some of these guys are still playing in the NFL right now. Um, and I looked back and I was like, it was with talent wise, we had no excuse. It was just lack of focus, lack of, um, exposure. I think, um, some, um, just being ranked that high, some guys never saw that before, never had that type of exposure. And, um, I always sat back and I observed and, and just watched. And, and that year was that year really had me, I had to put that year in my back pocket, like never forget that year. Because um, I never wanted that taste. And what, what hurted me the most as a player was um, Coach Spurrier came in and he gave us a bowl calendar. And he said, you know, you guys go home and you watch these um, bowl games wishing he was there. And that hurt me so much, like, just because I knew how bad he wanted to win, you know, because he's a winning coach. And and uh, for him to give us the calendars, and I was like, I, I never, I threw the calendar away. I don't even want to, I don't care who's playing. We ain't playing, I don't care. Um, 
but that year was a tough year, and I never wanted to experience. As long as I was going to be a part of the Gamecocks, I never wanted to experience it again. And so after that, we made it to bowl games. Some bowl games we won, some we didn't win. But I was working like I never want to have that long. It was a long Christmas break, and it was miserable. <laughs> so I was like, I, I, we couldn't do that no more. I, we just don't, we always gaining weight because we was not working out. We was home depressed because we wasn't playing. Um, you know, just after playing Clemson, and you don't do any more football activities until the next year. So that was tough for for me. Um, that was that was a tough year. No doubt. So, Trevian, let's kind of move ahead. You know, 2008, you had 17 total tackles, two tackles for loss, um, two pass deflections, then a forced fumble against Kentucky, like or Tennessee, excuse me. Like you mentioned, you guys go to a bowl game in that season. 2009 comes around. Um, your season is cut short due to injury. I kind of have a two-part question because the game that you were injured in is probably one of the most memorable games in South Carolina history, the 2009 mm-hmm. Ole Miss game, kind of the birth of Sandstorm. South Carolina takes down Ole Miss, ranked number fourth or fourth in the country. Um, I guess one because to that point, I guess you hadn't really exploded on the scene yet, if you will. Um, and I'm sure you had huge aspirations going to what was at that point your junior season. Obviously, you got the medical red shirt and you had two more years to play. Mm-hmm. But talk about what was going through your mind when you go down with the injury in the Ole Miss game. And then also the second part of that question, just try to recall and recap again. I know your mind was in a completely different place, but that was such a historic night for South Carolina football and kind of felt like one of those signature wins that sort of changed the whole direction of the program. Just kind of summarize all that into one. Um, I think um, um, that that game, uh, that I was just transitioning to a new position. I don't know if a lot of people remember. I came in, I was um, Eric Norwood backup playing outside linebacker, and then I kind of went into the defensive end role and then um, always was – lifting weights and I, I ended up earning the starting job as nose tackle and that was my first year you know going into that year's starting job and um that game I was I think I had like four tackles I, I had set a goal for myself that game that I want because I always watched the other defensive tackle that was starting and and I wanted to like hey what what did he do I want to do better than what he's doing and um that game i never forget I was playing on the offensive line my knee just buckled it wasn't nothing crazy and he finished me off because I my knee gave out he finished me off and um I I wanted to go back in the game so bad because I was like I got it. it's a big you know big time game um and then doctor came over and said I was done for the game he never told me my ACL was torn he just said you're done for the game and um Melvin Neer, I never forget Melvin. They didn't want me to know my ACL was torn. They didn't want me to freak out on the sideline. And Melvin Ingle overheard him tell Coach Lauren, hey, he's out. His ACL is gone. Melvin came back over and told me, your ACL is torn. <laughs> the doctors was telling him to get away from me. So I, they took me in the locker room, and um, all I wanted them to do was to win that game, no matter what I was going through. Um, I actually watched the rest of the game in my apartment. I went back home and watched the second half at a game in my apartment, and um, that game itself, like that Thursday night with uh, the crowd, the exposure, that game woke us up and said, like, hey, we can we can really do do anything, you know. If, you know, be, be Ole Miss, that game woke us up, but we just need to – we need a leadership. And I think that, mo- that moment is where our team start to realize we actually can do this. We can, we can go against the top-ranked teams in the nation. Um, you know, last the 2007 year, we kind of 
you know, we let it loose. But if we do everything right and do it together, we can we can be good. And um, from there, it, we could just tell from practice to start getting better. After that game, we start practicing much better, meeting rooms, people were studying more, people was coming in and getting treatment more. And that it's just we just took off after that game. It just got better after that game. No doubt. And I completely agree with you. Like you said, you could kind of see things see, like I said earlier, see the culture changing and see things, the tide turning in the favor of South Carolina. Um, and the way that season went, obviously South Carolina, you guys, the next year, little do we know you would go on to win the SEC East, but that season, obviously you spent rehabbing coming back. Um, talk about, mm-hmm. I guess the relief you had when you find out that you get the medical red shirt and you have, you know, two more years to play instead of just one. I'm sure that had to be a huge weight off your shoulders because obviously you want to play football and, I mean, get to the next right. level. I'm sure that had to be a huge weight off your shoulders, though. Yeah, and I thought I, – I just always think that everything happens for a reason. Um, I, I tore my ACL the same knee in, in high school, and um, I actually got a cadaver done. And me as a 70-year-old getting, you know, major surgery, I shouldn't have ever chose to get a cadaver done because playing the sport of football with a cadaver wasn't good. And – I didn't know that at the time. So it actually lasted three years. It was actually three years that night that I tore my ACL. And um, so I felt like if I wanted to continue, I needed I needed that to happen to me um, so I can get a better knee. And, you know, just to say this, that God made it happen. He made it happen for me because I never have any issues out of my knee. I end up He's blessed me to play four more years out, you know, in in the NFL with no issues with that knee. So I needed that to happen so I can go in there and get that cleaned out and get a better knee. And um I ended up finishing out my college career strong and um that it was that was necessary for me. Now at the time it was happening, I was depressed. I was wondering as my dream as an NFL player would ever happen again. And then um Coach Lawn again, he walked me in. He walked in. He was tough on me. He was like, hey, you need to lift your head up. And he's he's like, show me Jasper Brinkley. He was like, he just had ACL surgery, and he's playing in the NFL. He said, I know guys that have 10 surgeries and still playing. What are you What are you pissed about? He was like, get your rehab, and, you know, we'll get you back right. And I knew with having him as my coach that he was going to coach me. He was going to give me the exposure that I need to – Get, be the best I can be and so I kind of like woke up like hey as long as I got him in my corner I have nothing to worry about he was like my trainer he was like my personal trainer and um he made sure that I had everything I needed so that helped a lot no doubt and obviously the rehab paid off very well because uh you came back strong very strong mm-hmm. in 2010 you played in all 14 mm-hmm. games had 42 total tackles 10 tackles for loss four sacks I mean really I look at 2010, Travian, as the year that you really exploded on the scene and made your mm-hmm. presence felt. Um, talk about just because I feel like, again, I know you rehab, but I, I feel like something else had to change for you as far as, you know, you talked about you were transitioning to a different position in 2009. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know, was it maybe more reps or you felt more comfortable? But what changed for you to where, where you were able to really burst on the scene and become a real force in the middle of that Gamecocks defense? Well, I was kind of – that year – that year, I was kind of laid back. I didn't know how the team were reacting. And um, having Coach Spurrier, I had a conversation with Coach Spurrier. He knew, oh, you know, Trevor, you, you're now, you're not a puppy no more. You're, you're, you know, you're a vet now. And I, I want to get some point of views from you. We had a conversation. I said, well, Coach, I said, what do you think we're lacking to be that team? I said, leadership. 
And then he asked me, he's like, well, what do you wait, you know? And I was like, wow, just from hearing that coming from here, him, I was like, well, coach, I, I would love to take on that role and um, be, you know, be that guy. And um, he said, well, I think, you know, we, we lacking that too. And, you know, it's the time for you to step up. He was kind of challenging me to be that guy and bring some more guys. And, um, you know, I had to sit down and talk to Garcia. I sat down and talked with a lot of guys like, hey, man, now is our time. We came in here in 2007. We sat back and waited. Now this is our team. This is this is us. Let's go. Let's roll with it. And let's end this, you know, in our era with a good note. And so we all had to sit down and we talked. And um, I just kept going hard in the weight room. And, and I felt like that's where we spent most of our time at. And most teams, most people don't realize that's when you win is in, in the weight room with your strength and conditioning and stuff. So one, once I realized it, and it was, it was playing part of me rehabbing and trying to be the best I could be at the same time. So once we got that weight room rolling, we got guys that are stronger. Coach Fitz did a great job um, when he, once he came in. And um, that year, it was just getting that exposure, getting Coach um, Spurred to say, hey, this is your team. You do what you want to do with it. Um, I'm going to back you up whatever decision you make. And he kind of, like, gave it to me. and was like, do what you want, you know, whatever you think we need to do. So that's what kind of, you know, woke things up. Now, we had Melvin. We had all these guys. But for him to come to me and say those things, I was like, okay, you know. And he said, if you don't like what it is, you know, come and talk to me about it. And we'll work it. So once he let let it go and say, hey, I'm going to let you run this team, you – um you know, you the captain, let's go with it. And we did it, and it, it worked out. Now, we had some ups and downs where, you know, a lot of people didn't get along. We lost some guys in the, in the mix, and I knew it because that's part of changing. When you change, and, you, and a lot of people can't adapt to the change, and we was going to lose some people. And um, we lost some good guys. You know, we lost Garcia in the mix, and, you know, that year was a great year for him. That was a great year for all of us, but that's a part of culture changing. You know, you're going to lose guys, and um, a lot of guys couldn't, you know, stick to the program. So we had a, we had to clean out shop a little bit, and we went with the guys that was on board, that could buy into the the, the system that we were trying to change. And once we got the guys that could buy into it, that's when you start to see the change in the record. So eleven to two, and eleven to two, and beating Clemson because uh, we was focused, we was focused, and uh, the coaches, you know, pretty much let it let it go and say, hey, y'all figure it out. You know, we you know we did enough. We argued at y'all enough. We arranged y'all enough. Is at some point you you guys got to do it. And you know y'all are y'all the ones in the locker room. Y'all the ones put on the pads and cleats. You know we navigate y'all, but y'all the one got to do the work. So once Coach Burry did that, it it kind of start changing. You, you everyone starts seeing the culture change around there. So Travian, I want to ask you. You mentioned earlier a little a little bit earlier your uh, your former teammate Melvin Ingram, and obviously we see what he's doing mm-hmm. in the NFL, and I mean just the career mm-hmm. he's having is outstanding. But uh, you played with a ton of uh, a ton of big time guys. I mean the Goon right. Squad, the original Goon Squad. Mm-hmm. I mean you played with so many. You know Stephon Gilmore, DJ Swearinger, Ingram, Clowney. You know the list goes on and on of the big time names you played with. I want to ask you an interesting question here because we're getting into 2010, 2011. If you had to pick mm-hmm. one of two, which was the better defense and which was the better defensive line? And I feel like I know which one you're going to say for defensive line because of the clowny effect. But which one would you right. say was the better defense? And then part two, obviously, you being a defensive lineman as well. I mean, what was it like day in and day out at practice, practicing with those guys? Because I just feel like when you're, you know, they say iron sharpens iron. When you're practicing and going against them, you know, 
competing with those guys, I just have to feel like it made you so much better of a player each and every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me and Melvin, we go way back. Me and Melvin been playing against each other. We played on some all-star teams together. I knew what Melvin was about. Um, I, we was always in the mix recruiting together because he played at Richmond County, which was 30 minutes. That was my rivalry high school. Um, so I knew the talent that Melvin brought to the program. And obviously it still shows today. He's he's one of the best I've seen that I will ever see. And I'm not bragging because he's he once my teammates, my brother. I just never seen nobody as talented as this guy, you know, that I actually – grew up with, you know, through my college and high school. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm, I know this guy. And um, with when you add Clowney, you add Devin Taylor, and you add all these other guys, I, I was – we made those coaches' jobs easy. Um, we, we was talented. We, we had the talent. And we just had a discipline. We just needed to be disciplined. And going into practice, um, I noticed in 2010, I'll never forget, I, I saw – the change in Melvin. He's always been a hungry individual, and he will come to practice and he will say this chant. I I, I don't want to say it on on radio or on podcast, but he would say this chant every day in practice, and it gave me the chills because I knew he was he was serious about it. I knew he was he was ready to work, and we was trying to compete every day, every day, every night, whatever we practice. We were trying to compete against each other. And like I said, Coach Lauren had us, our room, he made sure that we had to be the best unit on that practice. Even though, you know, you bring in Marcus Lattimore and that running back room may have been great. Um, but he tried to make sure that we was the flashiest unit on practice that day. And um, we had to get sacks. We had to get to the quarterback. So to say all that to say this, like 2010 to me was, um, I think, was the best defense. But the 2011 defensive line, I think that was the better defensive line because I think that defensive line that year, I think we put on the show that year. Would um, you would you say that was the best Gamecocks defensive line in school history, just from your knowledge and what you know? With, with all of us um, up front, yes. That's from my knowledge and what I know, I would say. I haven't I, – I don't like for all five of us, I will say five because I include Devin and Clowney. But for us up front, the starters that year, um, even our backups was just as good. Um, we had Audrey, we had Chaz. We had a lot of good backups that was just as good that year. But I think 2011, D-line, we was – and we knew that was our last go-round. That's, that's kind of the way we look at it. Hey, you know, this may be some of our last time playing football ever. Let's make the best of it. And that's what we looked at it as. And um, when we was it – was, it was crazy because – Clemson game kind of showed a lot when um, I never forget how Todd um, was it Todd's boys that said mm. we was average at best, <laughs> and um, we we took that as like hold on like you're not gonna we out here balling you're not gonna sit here and talk about us like that so we was we was trying to get him the whole game when all of us had a chance to sack him I was like that's what we're about you know we're not gonna let anybody come in and talk not just the D line but just our defense period. Um, we we took pride in the Goon Squad. We took pride in all of that. And like I said, that year, that the 2011, I will say that was probably the best. I, I haven't seen no one, no other D line, and I'm not competing. Or I just when we was there, we 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 showed out that year. 
Hold on to that thought about the Clemson stuff, Travian, because I, I definitely want to get into that more in detail. But uh, that 2010 season, you know, you guys, obviously SEC East champions, you know which game I will jump to, though, Travian. You cannot talk about the 2010 season without specifically talking about the South Carolina-Alabama game, a game right. that I would probably say is to still to this day, I think a lot of people would say it was the biggest game in school history, the biggest win in school mm-hmm. history. South Carolina beats mm-hmm. down number one Alabama in a game that really wasn't even close. Um, 35-21, the final score. Obviously, Garcia has the game of his life, the South Carolina defense. You guys, I remember everybody was talking about the Trent Richardson stuff, and I forget who his backup mm-hmm. running back was, but the, two, the two-headed monster they had at running back, you guys completely mm-hmm. shut them down on defense. Just from your perspective, Travian, talk about that day overall and what that feeling was like beating number one Alabama. Uh, that, was, that was one of the best – like you said, it was one of the best games but I remember the preparation that week. Uh, we went out to practice that week, and we treated it like it was a normal game. And um, that's where we won the game at. Um, sometimes in in the past when we had big teams come in and, you know, top-ranked teams come in, we kind of got overexcited, and we, we kind of picked fights that we shouldn't have been picking. And they made – coaches made sure, hey, this is a regular game. Same people, they put on their shoulder pads, they put on their cleats, they – take their wrist and ankles the same way. We knew who we had to stop, obviously, Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson. We knew what they was going to do, and we knew that they was going to try to run the ball on us. So um, we knew if we stopped the run, and, and, and we knew we had Stefan that was just getting into his prime. We had we had some good safety. We had Chris Culliver. I was like, okay, we got one guy we need to stop. We start to run, they're going to rely on Julio. And um, – Knowing that he had a broke hand, it still didn't stop him. He still had over 100 yards with a broke hand just to show how good he was. But after winning that game, that really, you know, that was a major feeling. Um, a lot of people doubted us that game except for the all the Gamecock Nation. But everybody outside of Gamecock Nation doubted us and didn't think it was going to happen. And I still brag about that game. It felt good playing against um, Julio, for the, playing with Julio for the Falcons and in the locker room and be able to talk junk to them. Hey, we beat y'all <laughs> when y'all was number one, you know, and and they can't do nothing about it. And and um, that that's something that you'll never forget. You know, I can tell my grandkids about that game. So um, I, that's one that you know you hold on to close to your heart because it was an amazing feeling. It was a great win for the program. And but that's not it for that program. I, I, I I'm really tired of really talking about this. To, um, this is a game. Um, let's let the, I want to hear about the SEC championship being the game. You know, that that stuff happened in 2010 and, and history. That's going to always be there, but we got to create, we got to start creating more history now. Um, you know, talking about get back into beating clips and get back into, you know, getting back to the big stage and coming to Atlanta and um, playing in that game. So that's, that's what I look forward to hearing about. And um, I know, with Muschamp and everything that they have going, I know I see the change, and um, it's a, that atmosphere that's going on now is amazing. What they have going on now, yeah, and I, hey, I agree with you, Travian. I think a lot of Gamecock fans uh, would agree with you as well, and I, I think the best is yet to come for sure. But uh, definitely a fun one to relive. I want to ask you and get your perspective because uh, we had Tory Gurley on this show last year, I believe, and he was asked this question. But I want to get your take on it because you guys beat number one Alabama. Then the next week, go to Kentucky. You're up 28-3, to I believe it is, and you guys lose that game. Or 21-3, to I think. Marcus Lattimore gets injured, and you guys lose that game. You actually had a pretty good game that day. Two tackles for loss, mm-hmm. a sack. But just talk about 
what happened because I know a lot of South Carolina fans and people looked at that game and it obviously in the long run didn't kill you guys because you still win the SEC East but I mean Mm. what, what would you attribute that loss to was it overconfidence was it overlooking Kentucky was it still feeling good about what happened from the week before I mean what would you say um that game I never forget that game either um I think I I watched that game because I I knew that they almost beat um they didn't lose to Auburn that year they I can't remember but they gave Auburn a run for their money with Cam Newton and I was like this this team is no joke and I always will like watch the attitude towards team how hard they play people and um that wasn't the same Kentucky we we was used to and um we lost we. I think that we we had good we lost focus in that game, um, that game itself. When we was beating them, we kind of like we we took our foot off the gas as players, as as coaching staff. We we kind of like just took our foot off the gas, and they had playmaker like uh, what's the receiver name? Uh, Randall Cobb. Yeah, they had all those playmakers, and um, they 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 exposed us. They exposed us because I feel like beating Alabama. You know, everyone is patting us on the back and telling us how good we were. And then we go in there and we jump up on Kentucky, and um, they still had some some fight in them. Uh, they didn't they didn't give up, and we kind of we let that game slip. And um, that's that's what we didn't need. If, you know, my mind as I'm thinking as a player, we didn't need that type of of attitude or um, energy playing because now. You know, you just beat the number one team. Now you, we look. I looked at it. We the most hated team now. You know, we just beat Alabama. We the most hated team because, and everybody else says that wasn't supposed to happen. That was a fluke. And um, Kentucky showed us like, hey, y'all not just gonna come in and run all over all over us. You know, we got we, you gonna play this game too. And um, that game woke us up to say, hey, you gotta start playing around because uh, we're trying to make it to the big stage. And um, that game, I don't know why Alshon wasn't on the field <laughs> when we threw the ball up at the end, but Alshon wasn't on the field. Um, I don't know. I don't – never knew to this day. And we had a – I think we had a freshman out there in, in Alshon place, and Garcia threw the ball up, and if it, I figured if it was Alshon, we'd have a better chance of making that play. But um, we – we I lost some sleep after that game. I lost a lot of sleep after that game, but – that was a tough. That was a tough one. That game was a tough one. Just losing Kentucky, um, and we never took Kentucky for granted after that. Well, I, I was going to say, you guys certainly. You mentioned you needed to refocus and bounce back, and you guys certainly did that. You closed out the regular season, winning five straight games, including the game in the swamp to clinch the SEC East title, the first ever in school history. Travian, just talk about that night mm-hmm. um, going into Florida again, a place that South Carolina had not had really any success before. I mean, South Carolina, I, I think that may have been, if I recall correctly, that may have been the first ever win in the Swamp as well. I could be wrong there. But either way, you guys go to Florida, get the win. You're 2010 SEC East champions. I, I know, like I mentioned earlier, we had your former teammate Pat DeMarco on the show, and he talked about the uh, the flight home and the greeting that you guys got from the, uh, the Gamecock right. faithful at Williams-Brice. Just – I want to hear from your perspective. Talk about beating the Florida Gators, realizing, you know, you're going to Atlanta, you've achieved that goal, and then the reception you got back in Columbia. Yeah, as that, that game came along, uh, I kind of felt like a little pressure. Team felt a little pressure. Um, Coach Spurrier came to me and said he wanted me to do a speech. And I wasn't a speech guy before the game. But 
all that week I was like thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? <laughs> I was like, if I have to talk to get these guys ready, then we ain't ready. And uh, I just kept hearing, they got this. I heard people in the locker room talk, well, they got this receiver, they got this. And I got pissed off. And I, I stood up and I was like, yeah, they got good receivers. They got good quarterback. They got a good offense line. But we got good players too. I was like, we focus on what we're supposed to focus on and do what we're supposed to do. We can go ahead and beat these guys. And um, I was like, yeah, they got a good receiver. We got a better receiver. They got a good running back. We have a better running back. And that speech, um, that locker room speech before the game kind of got everybody hyped, got everybody believing. Um, i never forget, we kicked the ball off to them. They take it back to the house. And I, my ears probably still ringing from them scoring a touchdown. And um, so we, we stay relaxed. We stay relaxed. And we went out and played our ball. We played our ball and watched the offense and the O-line, that was probably the best i ever seen an O-line block for Marcus Lattimore. They blocked their tail off that game, and they fought. They fought hard. And on defense, we was flying around. We was competing. We had Stephon going against a good receiver. We had some good competition, and we we knew if we lost that game, they was going to go to Atlanta. If we won that game, we was going to, you know, well, if they lost the game, we was going to go to Atlanta. So we was like, we got to we gotta make sure we get to Atlanta. and um. We knew whoever won the game was going to be crowned champion. And we knew how much it meant for Coach Spurrier. I always had, like, some meetings with Coach Spurrier, one-on-one meetings. And, you know, going into the swamp and beating them, we knew that game meant a lot for him. And um, it meant a lot for us because we worked so hard um, to get there. And um, just getting on the bus and getting back, and um, Coach Spurrier always promised us, you know, if we win, he he was going to let us have fun. He was going to make sure we got the exposure we need. Just don't worry. He basically said, don't worry about that part. Um, when and all that stuff will come because we was tired of hearing about other teams in the media. No one was mentioning us. Everybody was counting us out. And he basically said, if you win, I'll make sure you get that, that, that exposure that you need. Just make sure you win. I can't get the news channel there, you know, talking about how good you played and you lost the game. So, when we got back to the stadium, I'm like tired, you know, ready to go lay down. And it was almost, hey, we about to have a, a party. We about to have a parade. We about to have this. And that's when I realized how much making it to Atlanta meant. Like, hey, we about to go to Atlanta. That's what it's all about, getting to Atlanta and, and playing the SEC championship game. And just seeing all the fans there and everything there, that was that was great. And having all that happen in the same year, you know, and then going to Atlanta, it was just like, this is what we've been working for. So that bus ride was one of the best bus rides we ever had. Um, getting back to the William Bryce and, and just bringing that victory back home was the love, the greeting that we got in the parking lot. And um, I, I never saw it. I never saw it. You know, my first few years at Carolina, I never saw, you know, fans lined up. And I was like, we're doing something right now. Now we're doing something right and, Fans always loved us. The worst record we had, the great record, we always had the love from the fans. But when you winning and you winning that way, that way that we was winning, and you see the fans line up, and it was just amazing. It gave me chill bumps just seeing them on the side when we walked in. It was crazy. Uh, everybody was having fun, and that's what winning brings. It brings that feeling. So we want we we wanted that always. We wanted to keep that going. Like we never want to go back to that sitting in the locker room, standing at each other like, what are we going to do now? We always wanted that high five and, you know, jumping around feeling. Like, that was a great feeling. We never want to go back to it. So um, that kind of 
woke us up and like, hey, man, we got to keep this train rolling. We can't go back. And that comes into recruiting, too. You know, when you got that type of talent, you got to start recruiting that same type of mentality or even better. And that's what the coaches was about. It was like, we, we got to find guys that's better than y'all. And that's when the clowny era came in and they started rolling. No doubt. So, again, you guys go to Atlanta, Travy, and the first ever Gamecock team to do so. And at this point, the only Gamecock team to do so. But you guys take on the Auburn Tigers, who you had faced at Auburn earlier in the season, um, a game that I know that you guys feel like got away, that you should have won. Um, obviously, it didn't go the way you wanted. Cam Newton turned, turned into Superman that game, and it kind of got away from you guys. But just kind of talk about the overall experience of, again, it didn't go the way you wanted, obviously, but the overall experience of going to Atlanta, going to an SEC championship, you know, there aren't a lot of guys that say they did that. Just talk about your personal experience in, the, in that game. Um, it, was, it, was, it, was a good, it was a great experience. Um, I think we prepared well for that game. I think we um, – I don't – I want to say we overly prepared. I think we got caught up into um, a lot of stuff that didn't really matter when it comes to playing football. And um, when I say that, we got we, – we got into just watching Cam Newton too much, you know, instead of, you know, watching, preparing for the, the X's and O's and the play. We was just worried about him. And once you get so focused on one thing, you kind of forget about the other weapons. And um, we were just so caught on shutting Cam Newton down, which any coach or any program right now still does because he's a um, he's a dynamic player. He's a you know he's a great player. So once you facing him, you want to figure out how to stop him. Um, in the mix of that, we were so focused on him. He was making plays with other guys, and that experience was great and turned bad real quick for, for us. Um, just getting there was huge because that's what everyone's fighting for in the SEC is getting there. Um, that week was a great experience um, just coming to Atlanta and just having a, the experience to getting drafted in Atlanta and then playing back on that stage again. So all I feel like all everything happened for a reason and God has blessed me to to stay so close to, you know, my roots of football, what actually got me where I'm supposed to be, where, where I'm at now. Um, it's all happened for a reason, but just making it to Atlanta. I train in Atlanta after – after I graduated, I trained here. I actually lived two miles where I used to train at and had no idea when I got off the bus to come train here where I was at, what I was doing, and now, I'm, you know, my family and everything, my foundation is here. So um, just playing that game, you know, I loved it. I loved the city. Um, we had fun. But like I said, it was a good experience, turned bad. You know, obviously we wanted to win. But um, going against those guys, that was a that was a talented team, and we kind of forgot about the receivers, the defense. That was pretty good. We focused too much on Cam Newton that game, um, and Cam Newton did what Cam Newton do. He's just a he's just a ball player, and we we tried our best to stop him, but we didn't. For sure. So, Travian, you guys go into the 2011 season, build off what you did in 2010. You as a player, mm -hmm. obviously, have another fantastic year: 49 tack total tackles eight tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Um, we talked about it earlier. Something changed that 2011 defense. Insert Jadavion mm -hmm. Clowney, the number one overall mm -hmm. prospect in the country. The, you know, everyone was talking about him as the best high school recruit ever. Mm -hmm. um, I know, like, like you, you're a senior going into that year, and a lot of guys, and you're on campus, you're hearing that stuff, like, okay, you're a number one recruit. Let's see how you do when you get to this level and put on the pads, and let's see what you do. But with him, I mean, when did you know that this was not just some ordinary or like the normal 
type of recruit or normal freshman coming in, when did you know, like, holy crap, this is a next-level type player? Well, when he shook my hand and he grabbed half my forearm, and um, <laughs> he he was just a big kid, and that's the way I can – he was just a man-child. Um, i never forget when um, I stepped on campus. Everyone thought – I was 6'4", and they thought, oh, this is a big D end. I'm like, send him – you know, six, 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 seven guy walk in and I'm like, he's 17. I said, there's no way this guy's 17. And, um, but then I watched him move and I watched what he can do. And I actually went and watched his highlight tape and I, I was like, this is it. Like adding this guy, he was to me, I was like, he's the best of the best adding this. And it seemed that everyone wanted him. I was like, wow, we in South Carolina, we about to, we really about to do this. Um, and he comes on. He comes to practice and first practice. I'm treating him like he's a a real freshman. I, I mean, like a true freshman coming in. I'm making him go to the back of the line. I'm getting. I'm a senior. I'm a I'm a vet now, and um, I'm just treating him like a regular old Joe. Like, no, I know you're number one, but you're gonna you're gonna do this. And um, I realized I couldn't treat him like that. I'm like, no, we need this guy. <laughs> um, but just watching him, um, he made a play. I knew he was going to be a real deal. A lot of people saw it. I didn't quite see it, but he made a play in Georgia game as a freshman, and I was like, "Wow, like yeah, he's he's that he's that dude." And um, from there on out, the next year he had a big play against Michigan, and and that was it for him. That was it. Um, he just he just rolled his own ticket. And he's always been that guy to do it. But then you look, you have Melvin, you had Devin Taylor, you have me, you had. Chaz, you had Byron Gerardo. We was like, we we can't be stopped. We knew it. It was like, we shut down practice. We shut down everything. Like, it was to the point where we have drills. We have inside drills. Um, we have all types of drill in practice, and we had to be the best out there. We, it was to the point where Coach Burr said, "All right, let's move it on. We can't get the ball off. Let's just move it on." <laughs> and I loved that. And um, just having clowning, we was meeting at the quarterback, and that's what we did in game day. We was actually having competition, like. I'm going to get this sack. We were just talking junk to each Just friendly competition on the field. Like, no, nah, I'm going to get the sack. And um, we all was out getting sacks. And that's what it was about, was trying to get a sack. Yeah, I've heard but, stories from different people that uh, Spurrier would literally remove Clowney from defensive drills because, mm-hmm. he, because he would just whip the defensive line and get to his quarterback. We, yeah, we couldn't get – we and we, we wasn't getting anything accomplished. <laughs> it was practice <laughs> like – and you want you want to and I and I get it as I'm coaching now. You want to the confidence of your your offense has to be there, but we was the we was the confidence buster in practice. We were we ain't trying to let nobody expose us because we was tired of getting exposed a lot. We was just tired of it. Um, we was just over it. We was like, no, it's not gonna happen because if we let it, I feel like if we let it happen in practice, it's gonna happen in the game. And we we wouldn't let nobody do anything on us in practice. And once the game time come, we was out. We was just having fun. We put in all the hard work, and we knew what we can do. It was like, hey, we didn't let this happen to us in practice. Why are we letting this happen to us in game? And once we got that mentality, we was like, we're not gonna let nothing. We ain't gonna let no one stop us. Now, did some stuff happen to us? Yeah, we got people that scored on us, but we we did our best to keep people under 100 yards rushing. And you're not gonna just chunk the ball around on us. We we knew we had some great corners. That was a good thing for us, too. A lot of people missed that, you know, a lot of our sacks come from our, our corners covered in their butt off. 
Um, we had some great corners. Um, McKean, you had Stefan. Then you had our safeties. You had Chris Culler. We had Devontae. at CC. We had a lot of good um, people on the back end that helped us out too. And so when all, everything worked together, you know, we was unstoppable at that point. And then we fall short sometimes. Yeah, we did. You know, we, we let a few slip through, through the cracks. But for the most part, we created our identity and we try to stick with it. And we didn't let no one disrespect our identity. No doubt. So, Travian, <clears throat> you mentioned the Georgia game in which, like you were saying, Jadavion Clowney threw Aaron Murray to the ground like a rag doll and Melvin Ingram mm-hmm. scoops the fumble up and scores and you guys win mm-hmm. the game in a 45-42 shootout. But what I want to ask you about, um, you had a pretty good performance that game, but what I want to ask you about, you talked about your really good friend and teammate Melvin Ingram. He had one of the mm-hmm. more memorable plays in the South Carolina Georgia mm-hmm. series with the fake punt, mm-hmm. runs down the sideline and scores and showed off his athleticism that I don't think anybody – I mean, nobody knew he had that kind of athleticism. You were really – you're really close to him. I mean, how much – I guess, did you get some humor out of watching him run down the sideline like he was George Rogers? And how much crap did you get him, give him after that that maybe he should be playing running back instead of a defensive well, player? Well, like, like I said, I, I, knew, I knew that about Melvin. Um, I played against Melvin in high school, and I, and I had a um, – I wanted him on my team. I never wanted to play against the guy. I never wanted to play against him because I knew what he can do. Um, a lot of I saw him. I actually got stiff on by Melvin. Um, and a quick story: I was stiffed on by Melvin in our, our senior our rivalry game. And as Scotland County and Richmond County, that's the, one of the biggest games in North Carolina. And um, all the coaches was there. All the scouts was there. And we were stopping them. Our defense was stopping them. And Coach Emery um, put Melvin at running back, and he hit the sideline. He stood on me. That game, Melvin, that high school game, Melvin had a rushing touchdown. He had a, a pick for a touchdown, um, and he had a punt return for a touchdown. So when they when they decided to put him back there and run a fake punt with him, that was Coach Loin letting them know, hey, this is an athletic guy. If you want to run a fake punt, it's a big guy that can move. We didn't know he was going to score. Obviously, we were just trying to get the first down. You know, we were just, hey, this is an opportunity. They lighten up the box. You know, let's, this is the time to run the feet. Get the first down, get out of bounds, Melvin. But the attitude and mentality that Melvin had, it was just like, you're going to give me the ball? And you you have me to run? I'm not just going to get the first down. I'm going I'm to take it to the house. And um, when he called it, I, I had no other doubt that that was going to happen. I didn't think nothing else. I didn't think nothing less of him because I knew what he could do just because I played against him in high school. He was one of the best point guards there was in, in our conference. So I knew how athletic he is. I saw him do numerous backflips in a row. Um, I saw him score touchdowns in the Shrine Bowl game at running back. I saw him do it. So once um, they got smart enough to put the ball in his hand a little bit, they, it, it just made history. Um, it just actually showed that what he can do, and that exposed them. That showed, and he's still showing it to this day. And I'm not surprised at his success at all. And if you know Melvin, know what he's about, and know where he come from. Like I know exactly where he come from. I know what he's about, and God has blessed him tremendously with his talent and his athleticism. Like he can do whatever you ask him to do, dunking wise. He can probably pitch the ball or any sport. He can do it. He loves football though but if you can put him on the court and play basketball he'll be one of the he'll be a short zion he he got that slow he can dunk he can do all that stuff you don't get to see but i had first class seats to that 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 melvin 
And that touchdown was like I, I knew he was going to do it. Uh, I just knew he was going to do it because I saw it before. Um, and that just transitioned. I mean, that just moved him over to the NFL. And now the Chargers are saying like, hey, we got this guy. We got a great athletic guy. We need to move. We need to utilize his his, his ability. And they're doing a great job at it. And that's why you don't see Melvin bouncing around the team to team because they know what they have. They know what type of player he is. And someone smart is behind that and making sure we can't. We don't want to play against this guy. We don't want to play against him because if we do, he's going to give us crap. So he's not a guy you want to play. You want a guy like that on your on your on your side all the time. And he's a leader. He, he's thing about Melvin. He's a leader, and he's always. He's always want to, he want to be the best at everything he does. Travian, let's let's talk a little bit about your game. Um, obviously, you're coaching mm-hmm. now, and I'm sure you bring it out, you know, in your coaching style, if you will. But mm-hmm. you were a guy I remember watching specifically that you just had a certain. I mean, really, the entire defense took on this mentality, mm-hmm. but a certain tenacity to get the football, get whoever had the football. Like you said, meet mm-hmm. me at the quarterback was certainly that defensive lines mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk about your playing style. How would you say – how would you describe it? I was a – I was the silent killer, I would say, if I had to put a title on it. Um, I was kind of reserved at the beginning of my, my football career, very reserved. But um, when I made the game fun is when I, I had my best games. Um, I was frustrated because I was moving from position to position. But um, I knew that we had – I had Melvin on the side. I had some great – and Norwood, I had Brinkley. But I had to figure out what could I do. And um, I put my game up of being the strong guy. I was the guy to take on the dirty work. I was the guy that once I learned how to split a double team, once I learned how to take on double teams, I was that guy that I'd do all the dirty work. I would keep that offensive guard off of you while you go get the tackle. And I was not selfish. I, I understood my role and what I can do. And um, I did my job. Once I understood what my job was, I just went out and did my job. And, and I had a little mean streak to it. At the, when, and that was bringing fun. I just knew in the trenches, it, it was just tough. The X's and O's was easy to learn. It was just, you know, your job is going to be hard. You don't get double team almost every play. And to me, that was fun. If I need one person can take on two guys and I can beat two guys, I felt unstoppable. And um, you see Melvin them on the one-on-ones. I'm, I'm up there holding up a double team, just making sure my linebackers are clean. And um, that was that's what I was about. I was about doing the dirty work. Uh, no one wants to do the dirty work. No one wants to, you know, take on two guys. And I did that. And um, I got better and better at it. And it helped our defense tremendously. And now coaching, I'm just same thing, coaching the guys. Know your role and, and be the best at your role. Don't try to do too much. and um, and just be yourself, have fun doing it. Too many guys will get caught up in to seeing like overhyped players and they want to do what they're doing. And it's not about that. You have a role, you have a job, and you be the best at doing your job. And that's just not football. That's just life, regular life, you know, regular job. You know, you got a job to do when you go to work and you just go to work, be the best at doing your job and everything will happen. Everything will fall in place. No doubt. So I want to jump to that 2011 season, Travian, was very interesting. I want to jump to the Auburn game. You guys obviously lose in uh, very dramatic fashion. I mean, I remember being at that mm-hmm. game. That was one that hurt everybody. Nobody really mm-hmm. played well, I feel like, that day, um, especially Steven Garcia, obviously your former teammate. Mm-hmm. And the news comes out after that week. He's, re- you know, he's let go from the team, mm-hmm. officially kicked mm-hmm. off the team. I know that was a guy, you know, speaking from other guys that you played with specifically – 
that entire team during when Steven Garcia was there just rallied around him. I mean, Steven Garcia was a, a guy's mm-hmm. guy. I mean, he was the leader of that football mm-hmm. team. And mm-hmm. what, what was the feeling like in the locker room? Because obviously on one hand you're losing Garcia, but you go to Connor Shaw. I mean, you guys demolish Kentucky the next week and, you know, go mm-hmm. on the string of a couple of wins and finish the season, obviously with 11 wins. We all know how it played out, but for you specifically, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, well, I don't really let it affect me. I don't care who's behind center. But when you lose your leader, and I'm sure someone who to you, Travian, probably still to this day is a dear friend and somebody, like you said, you came in the 2007 mm-hmm. recruiting class with, what kind of toll, I guess, what kind of effect did that have on you? Again, because I'm sure being as close as you were to Steven Garcia and how close the team was to him, I'm sure there was some shock in the locker room after you guys learned of the news. Yeah, that I mean, it was some shock to some people. Then it was wasn't shock to some people. Um, some people was bad about it. Some people thought it was necessary for what we was trying to do. Um, I love Garcia to death. He's you know he's my brother. Um, but the stuff that was mentioned about Garcia a lot that wasn't him. Garcia was a guy that everyone loved to be around. Um, he was just that type of guy. He was a good. He was a good teammate. He never was a bad teammate to anyone. He just had some regular college decisions that other people had, and um, it, it was just we wasn't in a meeting with him and Coach Furry. We don't know what, what what was said. We don't know what was happening. We all know what what y'all what everyone else knew about what was put out. So I, like I said, I don't know what was said in that meeting or what made it go down to the point where hey, you're dismissed from the team. But that hurt us a lot, obviously, because we love being around him. Everyone loved being around him. But some people thought it was necessary that it happened because of what we was trying to build. Some people didn't think it was necessary. My experience, a part of me thought, hey, this this is necessary because if it was me, how you know, if I was that guy, what, what would be done? And I always had to put myself in Garcia's shoes, like, hey, if this was me, what would I want to happen? And um, – and it only made him better as a person that, that woke him up to say, hey, this is not a joke, you know. Uh, you know, I, I took a lot of college football for granted that I shouldn't have done. And, and it's just a live and learn thing. But um, that year bringing in Connor Shaw, um, like I said, our coaches did a great job recruiting and watching Connor in practice and how he used to tear us apart sometimes. And uh, when we used to go scout team, that was the, that was the issue that we had – like, hey, we let this backup quarterback get us, and we had to stop him. And knowing his type of his background, his dad was a coach, his brother played at um, with big time football. Um, we knew he was going to be a hard worker. And Connor Shaw wrote his own ticket when he come in, and he had an opportunity, and he made the best of his opportunity. He came in and didn't miss a beat. And that's what we needed for every position. Let's just say if. Garcia didn't get kicked out of the team. Let's just say um, he had a season-ending in- injury, and you have a backup quarterback to come in and take his spot. That's what we needed. No matter what the case was that dismissed Garcia for the team, the next guy had I'm I'm just as good as him mentality. And if we had that in every position, we we would have been unstoppable. Some position we didn't have that that guy to come up right away to you know just go ahead and don't skip a beat. You just be as good as the um the starter. And once you have a team like that, like you see teams at Alabama and the Clemsons, that when when um, somebody goes down and the next guy come in, once you have a whole team that can do that, and it's hard to get a team like that, you gonna have a pretty good team when your backup is just as good and the third team guy is just as good. 
that means everybody is bought into the system. Everybody is bought into what the head coach wanting to do. And that's one thing that um, Connor Shaw did. He he didn't let anything distract him. He knew he was, you know, was the guy, and he knew what he had to do. And the rest, you just saw what it did to his football career. It just extended his career. Travian, let, let's jump into now. I told you I was going to bring it back up, the Clemson game. Uh, after taking a couple of licks from those guys in 07 and 08, you, uh, you finished your career against Clemson 3-2. and two. I know you didn't play in the 2009 game, but – Finish mm-hmm. your career against those guys three and two, and you, you were part of starting the five-in-a-row streak from t- 2009 to 2013. Um, you really – I was taking a look. You had good games against those guys in t- 2010 mm-hmm. and 2011. You had four total tackles, tackle for loss, and a sack in the 2010 game. and the 2011 game, you had uh, three total tackles, a tackle for loss, and a sack again. Um, obviously, you mentioned already the 2011 game, and I'll never forget it, you know, the whole Taj Boyd tweeting about – that uh, mm-hmm. I believe he said the South Carolina defense was soft and the defensive line was average. Um, I know 2010, I believe he was the backup in that one and came in late, and you guys mm-hmm. absolutely harassed mm-hmm. him and what was a blowout that mm-hmm. night. But mm-hmm. um, talk about, I guess, two-part question a little bit. That overall rivalry, um, your experiences in it, obviously one of the best rivalries in college football and really in sport, in my opinion. Talk about your experiences in it and then specifically – that 2011 game and you know it's funny what evolved from that because I you know Jadavion Clowney in 2013 saying that multiple quarterbacks that he had played and faced were scared of him and scared of the South Carolina defensive line and he specifically mentioned Taj Boyd so again reflect on that Carolina Clemson rivalry and then that 2011 game specifically you guys harassing Taj Boyd all night long that rivalry is very personal to me still to this day. I don't allow my kids to wear orange or purple. I don't even allow them to say the, that word. We call it the C-team. Um, my kids, if he eating a pack of Skittles and he see an orange Skittle, we, we don't eat it. It's not allowed in our house. So that, that, that rivalry is a big-time rivalry. We take it to the stream. Um, that rivalry is very personal to me because I was, you know, the top three t- schools that I was going to pick was Clemson was in it. And, um, and when I chose to choose, when I chose South Carolina over Clemson, like I said, I had a lot, obviously, you know, with everything, you had a lot of people sending hate mail and a lot of trash talking. So every time I suited up against them, I wanted to demolish them, no matter who was playing. I really had. I really had something against them until this day. And I got friends. I have friends that, you know, obviously I played with that played there. And and we we still talk. We we can all the way up to that game, we'll talk. We talk good about the team, but all the way to that game, I don't talk to them. Don't you call me. Don't text me. But um, that game, that year, um, like I said, we just turned it on. And Coach Ward, I'll never forget Coach Ward. We was eating Thanksgiving dinner. And um, I wasn't big on Twitter. I, I think um, Coach Spurrier kind of, like, booted us off Twitter and told us to stay off of it. If he seen anybody tweet, we was going to get in trouble. Um, that's when Twitter really got hot that um, that year. Um, but he was tweeting, and he was tweeting some stuff out. And um, like I said, you never want to poke a bear. And he poked, he poked a bear knowing that we was having a great season as not a team, but just a D-line. We was, we was, um, we was trying to, you know, get a goal sack wise. We're trying to get up to fifty some sacks that year. And um when we saw the tweet, we was like, hey, he must not know who we are. And we were just all sitting at the table, I'll never forget, and we was eating Thanksgiving dinner as a team and he Coach Ward just came and showed us the phone. He was like, I, that's all I want y'all to see. And um 
we watched tape, we watched film like we never watched before because we was like, hey, we it's already a robbery. You just made it even more intense. And um, we knew, I was like, if anybody, I'll never forget telling the D-line, I said, if we touch him one time, he's going to be afraid. Because you watch their their competition and who they played, no one ever really touched him. He was standing out in a pocket and really just having his way. And no one was getting to him as much as they should have. And when you saw, we saw that they played NC State, and NC State, a good friend of mine, actually one of my old high school teammates, played for NC State. And um, he said, all y'all got to do is pressure the guy. He, he, You can rattle him. And I think NC State ended up beating him that game, or I forgot. But um, we we sent a corner blitz the first play, Stephon Gilmore. We called a corner blitz, and Stephon Gilmore smacked him. And that was that was it for him. The first play, we knew if we hit him, that was going to be it. So we wanted to start off hitting them. And um, we didn't care if we got there late at all. We we say, hey, let them throw the 15-yard penalty. We're going to hit Taj Boyd. And uh, it wasn't no bounty or nothing like that. We just say, we're going to let him feel us. We're going to let him feel our pass because he's never been hit before. So Stephon Gilmore came on the corner blitz, smacked him. And from there on out, him and um, Watkins was not on the same page. Like He was overthrowing the ball. He was rushing. He was panicking in the pocket, and we knew it. We saw it. So, hey, we just kept our foot on the gas, and we just kept going after him. And um, Clowney hit him. I hit him. Melvin hit him. Devin hit him. We all sat him that night. And we made sure that he would never say that, hey, we was average. At, we was we was average again because every D lineman um, that lined up sacked him. As a starter, we sacked him that night. And um, that's that was our goal. We didn't care how we did it. We just say, we're going to go have a field day. And I think we had six or seven sacks in. And that was huge for us. We just wanted to, hey, no one talks about us. No one disrespect us. Especially not no one that's putting on that orange jersey. We, we don't take no no crap from them. And, and he got the worst of it because he, 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 he wrote a check and he couldn't cash that day. <laughs> I know that, you know, players talk trash with each other to the other team in between plays. How, how much trash did you talk or did you hear talk to him specifically after every single time you guys got in his grill? Every every time he stepped foot on the field, it was in his face. I don't care. And I and I, as a leader, and it's just me and Melvin, we kind of took it off. And I wasn't a big talker, but when we played Clemson, it was just uh, – it brought out something different in you. And if, and if it didn't, you you didn't belong on the field. Um, we we just didn't bring nobody that that got nervous at playing that game because that game was a serious game for both both sides. You you could feel the tension from the fans and you could feel the tension from the coaches. You could feel you could feel it all week, all week. And I know it's the same for them. And um, every time he stepped foot on the field, we lined up against him. It it was just to the point where he just shut his mouth. He stopped talking because it wasn't that he could do. It wasn't that he could do. He tried. They tried everything. Um, they had some talent. They had a lot of talent. You know, they had um, Sammy Watkins. They had uh, Ellerton. They had all those guys, and we didn't care who they had. We, hey, you got on an orange jersey. You don't belong in this city. You don't belong on the field with us. We don't care what you did in the past. We don't care what history says. We was worried about now, you know. What are you going to do now? And and that's what I get a lot from Clemson fans. Well, check the history. We don't care about that. We care about now. What What's going to happen doing this game and because you can't do nothing about history it's already done so that's what we we talked so much trash to him that night and uh, we made we made sure 
he knew we had it that um tweet we got his message we made sure message was sent and we we received it so we let him feel it Travian, talk about you guys obviously didn't get back to the SEC title game, which is I know what the ultimate goal was, what you wanted. But you guys go to the Capital One goal. You take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. You get the win to get to 11 wins for the first time in program history. To that point, you're the best Gamecocks team in Gamecock history. Um, And I've heard a story before of Steve Spurrier giving you guys – I'm not sure if you were on this bus or not or where this speech was given, but he was giving a speech. He he actually talked about it, I believe, on a radio show a couple months ago about that was his favorite game. And he said he was giving you guys a speech about, you know, look at all of the conference championships and national championships and all that on the side of Nebraska's bus. And, you know, he mentioned that none of that mattered today. We're going to play the game today. We're going to go out there. We're going to be the better team and get this win. And, you know, South Carolina is going to do it today. And you did. You guys did. You were Capital One Bowl champions. Again, first 11-win team in school history. Just talk about that game, I guess, that converse or that speech that Spurrier gave, if you were around for it, and what that game meant to you guys getting that 11th win. And, again, at that point, being the best team the Gamecocks had ever fielded. Well, we knew after the Auburn game we was kind of rattled. And um, we knew that the SEC championship, we wanted to get back there so bad. But we knew we only had one more game left. And all the guys was talking about – and what I loved about our, that, that squad that year, in the previous years, um, guys was talking about the NFL halfway through the season. And I'm like, hey, we got to finish this up. You know, you had that. I, I'm not going to say names, but we had some guys that was not focused on Gamecock football. Had a lot of guys that was focused on teams that wasn't even paying them yet. And um, that was a huge distraction. And what I loved about us guys, we, no matter, we did, we wasn't, and it's surprising how guys are not, they, to me, this day that guys are skipping out on the bowl games and go play. And I know some people for it, some people are against it. But once you commit to South Carolina, I feel like, well, any school, when I committed to South Carolina, I, I was going to stay committed until my last game. And um, I felt like that that was what I have to pay to them, you know. And I see guys that say, hey, I'm not going to play in the bowl game. You're not fully committed. Um, and I get it. I understand, the, you know, by me playing in the NFL, I understand the the role, but that year we had a lot of guys get drafted, and none of us was really focused on the NFL. We was focused on being the best team that South Carolina ever had, and that woke us up. Like we all could be. Just imagine if all our, you know, Stephon Gilmore and Alshon and Melvin said, "Hey, I'm not gonna play in this bowl game." Just imagine what kind of game that would have been. And um, I was so thankful that we was all focused on being the best that was now. On the plane ride back, man, we had conversation of what was next for us because we knew that was it for us. Like, we all was talking about, hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to train here. This is what I'm going to do. But in previous years, we had guys talking about that before we even get to the eight game. And that was, it was bothered. I was bothered by that because I was like, you're not fully committed. You know, you do all this work in the summer, but that year it was special because. People could have easily checked out, you know, knowing that we wasn't going to go any farther than that bowl game. You could have had guys easily checked out and say, hey, I'm focused on my next career. I'm going to project the first-round pick. I'm not going to risk getting hurt. But no one did that. Everybody was strongly focused on, hey, let's go in here and beat Nebraska. And pulling up was kind of intimidating a little bit. You see all these championships on the bus, and that's in the locker room. When we got there, that's when Coach Burry made that speech. And um, that speech was necessary because – you had a different site, you had a different place, and you can get easily distracted on what you're there for. And it was to win the ball game. And um, 
we, it was a good fight. You know, they competed well. We competed well. But at the same thing, we, we ended – I don't know if people realize, but we ended each game with a sack. And that was our goal. If they're going to put the game in our hands, like the last three games, the Florida game we ended with a sack, Clemson game we ended with a sack, Nebraska game we ended with a sack. And we wanted to, you know, close out the season when it's in the D-line hands. And we was going to make sure that we was going to end the game the right way, make sure no one score. We'll go in overtime because you can lose games in overtime quick. So um, that game was huge. We had fun. Um, and um, everyone after that went on and started their career. We had a lot of guys get drafted, obviously. But we, we focus on ending our um, era as Gamecock players um on a good note which was even better but you know first year in the what first time having 11 wins that was huge for us and that's what we came to do um and <clears throat> I, it's no doubt in my mind that it's going to get back or even better there's no doubt and i'm I'm seeing it happening soon i, I really got a feeling that it's going to happen soon no doubt and like you mentioned i know it probably puts a smile on your face travian to know that your last career game in a Gamecock uniform the defense pitched a shutout in that second half um right. you know obviously the defense played extremely well I remember Spurrier specifically citing that as to why you guys won the ball game um so like yeah. you mentioned guys moved on to their 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 careers after South Carolina you were drafted specifically Travian seventh round 249th pick mm-hmm. of the 2012 NFL draft something you worked for your entire life just talk about the emotions you got you had and what it was like well, when you got that call to learn you'd been drafted by the Atlanta Falcons that was that was that was a crazy call because um I did what I wasn't supposed to do. I had family. We went to a restaurant and um I was getting phone calls and I was gonna get drafted in the third round. I was going I was told I was getting drafted in the fourth round. But a good friend of mine that played in the NFL, he just told me, Hey, treat it like it's a regular day and I ignored him and I didn't do that. And um I was actually work working out a deal with San Francisco to go be a free agent. And um I had um I had a Buccaneers call, say, hey, we're going to put your number in the fourth round. Never heard from him. I had a Jaguars call, say, hey, we're going to put your number in and never heard from him. And um, I pulled up to my apartment, and my family already went up in the apartment. And um, I'm on the phone with San Fran, and coach was telling me I had a great shot to make the team, told me how much money I was going to get if I come be a free agent, blah, blah, blah. And then a 770 number pops up, and I, I I put the coach on hold. I said, hey, coach, hold on for a minute, because the draft was still going on. Had about six more picks left. Uh, saw Antonio Allen get picked, and I was like, well, I'm the only game caught that didn't get picked. And um, Thomas Dimitrov got on the phone and said, hey, um, do you want to be a dirty bird? And I, I immediately asked him, I said, are you going to pick me? Because I had several teams that called me. As do I want to be a part of that team? I'm, yeah, I want to be a part, but are you drafted me? Is what I wanted to know. And he said, yeah, we got to put your name in now. And um, I never got out of my car. I never clicked back over to the coach from San Fran. I just stayed on the phone with him. And that that was it for me. And I knew that right then I knew it was a business. I knew it was different than college football. That that phone That phone call opened my eyes like, hey, you got drafted, but you still have to put in some work. Um, and a lot of kids these days thinking, hey, you get drafted automatically, you know, multi-millionaire. That ain't the case. You, the I was drafted in the seventh round. I was almost a free agent, and I had to go to rookie minicamp and prove myself there. Um, didn't know that you can get drafted and get cut in rookie minicamp. Didn't know that. Um, 
I learned a lot real quick. I learned to grow up real quick. Um, and it was a tough, it was a roller coaster ride for me. Um, but Falcons treated me well. They treated me real well. And um, it showed me the business part of football. Um, it's a real business. And um, just getting that phone call and knowing that all the guys that um, was drafted and the guys that wasn't drafted that still got opportunity, it made me proud to be a Gamecock because I knew we all was working and we all put the work out on the field. Some people got drafted. They didn't win at spots that they didn't want to get drafted at. But knowing that, you know, God blessed them to get drafted, it made me feel good and made – I know all the coaches feel good because it was a lot of guys that, you know, made a career after that. And because I feel – I really truly feel like it's because of the work that we put in on the, on the field and, and William Bryce and, and all the work that we put in that exposed us, that showed us, hey, we Gamecocks and we fight to the end. And it's it's going to be tough to count us out. And – um. And I think all our careers show you still got some guys that's still going, like DeMarco, Melvin, and all those guys. And it's tough to keep a Gamecock out. So um, that was a blessing. That day was a blessing. It changed my life. Um, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. But um, I, I I just couldn't believe that I was still – I didn't get to see it on TV like, like I wanted to. I was just still sitting there. And it was like a last, last deal. But it was a blessing. For sure. So, Trevi, I want to jump into your, your coaching career now. Obviously, you're the defensive line coach at uh, Georgia State, I believe, going into your second season with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, you were at Albany State as well. J- just talk about, obviously, mm-hmm. what you're doing now. You know, I think a lot of Gamecocks, I'm not sure a lot of them may not even know that you're at Georgia State. Um, but your coaching career, you know, did you always know you wanted to get into coaching? And do you feel like it's something long term for you where you'd like to be a position coach or maybe even a head coach someday? Um, I, I do. I do feel like it's going to be something long-term. Um, the reason why I got into coaching is because the relationships that I created with my coaches, I, I still have a good relationship with my high school coaches. Um, and it's it's just amazing what coaches can do for players and, and where I come from and, and the impact that coaches made on my life. And um, I believe that you know, I, that's that's my calling to do the same for another kid. If I just reach one kid or whatever, um, that's it's just what I want to do. And plus the game, like, I really, truly love the game. I actually got a text message from a kid last night, and I challenged the kid. I was like, a lot of – I treat the game – it's like you have to respect the game. And it's just like well, um, on the water, you driving on the water, you driving a boat on the water, you have to respect the water because boats don't have brakes on it. So I always tell people, respect the game as if you're on a lake. You don't want to go out at the food on the lake with a boat because that boat don't have brakes on it. If you don't respect that lake, it'll, it'll eat you up. And if you don't respect the game of football, it, it will eat you up and it, it'll, it'll expose you. And I told guys, like, I can tell when players love the game because I love the game. I can tell when players just like it and parents just making them play. Um, but – I respect the game. I respect the game because I had injuries. I had, I seen people that was, was not able to. I seen people lose their life over the game. So I, I coach and I take this game very seriously um, coaching-wise. And I try to teach um, these young guys now, these players now that's coming up to, to respect the game. A lot of a lot of people don't respect the game. Um, but that's where I get in. I, I get a passion from because – I gained a good relationship with my coaches, with Coach Lauren, and um, even with a lot of my high school coaches. Still to this day, we have conversations. And and, and if it weren't for my coaches pushing me, I wouldn't be who I am today. 
So, and it's just my calling to give back and, and do the same for, for guys that what my coaches did for me. I love it. I love, um, it's my happiest place. Um, once, once I step foot in that, in those white lines, I, I have no worries whether it's playing or coaching. Um, I'm a young coach. I still have a lot of learning to do, but, uh, I'm blessed and thankful for the opportunity to be able to coach. Um, I tried doing other stuff. Um, I tried looking into other stuff and, it just it wasn't me. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, I'm all about X's and O's. I'm all about football. So um, if if it's up to me and it's up to what I want to do, um, this is what I want to retire doing. But it's all I know is God has a plan for me. So we're going to see what, what happens and how it goes. Obviously, I'm going to put the work in and do what I need to do. Um, I understand how coaching works. But um, I'm truly blessed and thankful for the opportunity that I have and and what this game have done for me and my family. Yep, and you're there with former uh, former Gamecocks offensive line coach Sean Elliott. I know you're under him. I'm sure you guys have a fantastic relationship, and I know that's a very cool Gamecock connection that uh, Georgia State has. It, it definitely sounds like Travian. You're a guy that still is very follows the program very closely. Is very close with the program. Um, talk about. I, I guess from I guess you, you having an outsider's perspective now at this point, being at Georgia State and you know watching the Gamecocks. Will Muschamp, the program he's building, we've talked a lot about getting back to the level that you guys had it at, at winning the SEC East, getting to Atlanta, winning 11 games, beating Clemson. What is your perception of the program right now, and how do you feel about Will Muschamp and his leadership and where South Carolina football is going currently? Um, For the, the amount of time that I do, I, I peek at Gamecock stuff because, I like, coaching-wise, I barely have time to – my main focus is on Georgia State, but – a little time that I do have, and um, I went to the camp last year. Um, just the atmosphere, walking in there, it's just a, it's a great atmosphere. Um, I see stuff. I see the guys are having fun, and once when I see that, then I know it's it's, it's hard work and it's fun. Um, but I, I got a feeling. I just for some reason I got a feeling that it's it's just time. It's time now. Um, I, I understand that. You know, fans want stuff to happen to happen now, but it's a process. And um, I don't know um, Coach Muschamp that well, but I, I do know he's a well-respected coach, and I do know he has a process and he has a plan in place. And as long as the guys buy into the process and plan, um, everything is going to work out and, and everything is going to be fine. But you and it's and I know it's a, you know a saying people say trust the process, but if you really do trust it and buy into it and um you know just like with coach Elliott um we have to we have to trust his process and we got to trust his vision and, and um what he's doing to be successful and we we buy into it as coaches first and we get the, the players to buy into it then you're gonna have a successful season and you just let it's gonna it's not gonna be easy most people want to see that you go out and beat the crap out of teams but a win is a win no matter how you get it it is a win and um you can put that W on the board, and whether it's by half a point, you you, you did it. You got the job done. Um, so whatever he have to do, um, whatever they're going to do, as long as the coaches, the assistant coaches buy into it and the players buy into the process that, that they have in place, they'll have a successful season. And um, that's what we're doing at Georgia State. Like, we just trust the process. And that's what everyone is doing. And whoever can get the team to, to buy into it and trust it, that's the team that's going to, you know, win. No doubt. Very well said. Uh, obviously, Travian, about to let you go, but you were a guy that had a very good relationship with uh, Coach T. Spurrier, and it sounds like you probably still do to this day. 
What's your funniest Steve Spurrier story from your times at Carolina that you can tell in the airwaves? Oh, wow. I got a lot of them. <laughs> um, I would say he's a, he's, he's a big guy on, on germs and eating well. And um, I'll never forget when we played at played North Carolina, um, this lady um, was walking. We was at the movies and um, I thought, I just knew he was going to give her a hug and, he was going, and her husband used to cut his hair a while ago, and she was, I would say, 80 or 90 years old, and she was coming. He, I don't know if y'all know, he's a fist bump guy. He, he don't shake hands. <laughs> and um, this lady, she was walking up to him. She was reaching her arms out to give him a hug, and he denied her hug and fist bumped this lady. And I, I just started laughing because, I would never thought I would think that hey he'll put the germs to the side and, and give this he will not he would not um hug this lady and um we I kind of jokingly asked I was like he was like well that was that she her husband used to cut my hair a long time ago and I was like coach he was like yeah I don't I don't do hugs but just to see him fist bump <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> that lady it, it was funny to me I have a lot of funny stories some but. That was one of the funniest ones to me where he fist bumped the lady, denied her hug and would not hug her. And um but Spurry was a he was a comedian. I, I think he was a comedian. Um he had a, a love hate relationship for the cameras, um, for the media. But um if he had a good joke or someone to crack on, you better watch out because he has some jokes for you. He was a and we a, a lot of a lot of defensive guys, we we never had no issues with Spurrier. Um he he was an offensive guy. Um, I never forget we lost to Arkansas. He said, "Hey, I'm a coach defense today," and he came over. And he didn't say much. He didn't coach. He just observed the meeting, <laughs> asked questions. But he was a he was an offensive guy, and um, I, I I love him to death. And um, my last time I saw him was um, 2017. We played against um, Western Kentucky in the bowl game at Georgia State, and uh, his son Steve Spurrier Jr. was coaching. And I met up a little bit, talked with him on the sideline. But he's a player's coach, no matter what people say about him. Coach Furry was great. He he never um he never gave me any idea of being a bad person. I hear a lot of people talk bad about him, uh, how he ended his career in South Carolina, but everything happens for a reason. And, and that's what I believe, no matter how he ended it, I have no but bad blood against how he did it and never know what people are going through. So um that was one of my I, – like I said, I, I have to really think about some good, funny stuff. Some stuff probably best to keep to myself, but that was right. – did, did he ever Did he ever crack jokes on – like you said, he wasn't a big defensive guy, but did he ever uh, crack jokes on you or get in your face or uh, have some fun with you at he all? Got on me about, yeah, he, he got on – I know that Arkansas game when we lost um, at home, it was very cold. And he, he, he was serious. Like, it was kind of crazy because he, he was serious, but – he would say things like, oh, I can't believe we, we recruited you. I can't believe we actually recruited a guy like this. But we would all be laughing like, like he's serious about this. And he, he was like, Travion, you too stiff to spin. Don't, did Coach Lauren teach you that? And we, I'm like, man, he's really cracking jokes right now. But he um he, he got on me one time, and, he, and that kind of, like, kicked me off the special team. Um, I was trying to learn. I was on punt. Um, yeah, I was on punt team, and – I let someone come through and block the punt. And he, all right, Trevor, you, you can't do this. You get out of here. And um, I never got on special teams that day after that again. And once he said that, he just booted me off the special team. 
And then he ended up moving me to uh, offensive guard for field goal block. So he was, I told him, say, Coach, I want to get on special team. I can do it. And he was like, all right, well, get on, you'll be offensive guard for field goal block. So my senior year, if you go back and look at tape, I was offensive guard on field goal block. That's hilarious. That's I, always <laughs> wanted, I always wanted to get on special team. That's so That's funny. Put me at. <laughs> That's so funny. So. All right, well, Shrevy, I'm going to let you go. One last question before I let you go, though. If you had to look back at your South Carolina Gamecocks career, obviously there's a ton of them, but your, uh, your best memory or your favorite memory as a South Carolina Gamecock. Um, my best memory, my favorite, um, I would have to say going back into 2010 when we, um, it was just the aftermath of beating, um, beating Alabama. Um, that night we just, we had so much fun as a team and, um, it was just, it was just amazing. Like we pretty much the whole town was just focused on us. So just being on that stage and, and doing that. Um, and another one I would say after coming back, my favorite moment was I was so big in the weight room and um, I came back from my injury and I was competing with my roommate, Rodney Pop, trying to be pound for pound best, um, the strongest guy on the team after a knee injury. And um, I ended up squatting like 615 and off the knee injury. So that was a huge moment for me. Because like I said, I took the weight room very seriously when I was there. So 2010, that year was just an amazing year for me because I was coming off a knee injury and I was pound for pound the strongest guy on the team and we beat Alabama. No doubt. Well, well, Travian, really do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously a pleasure and ton of great memories to relive. And uh, I know myself, I know Gamecock fans will be keeping up with you at Georgia State, pulling for you guys, pulling for your defensive line, especially to play well. And uh, We'll be keeping up with you, but I know I can speak for Gamecock fans when I say appreciate everything you did in Garnet and Black, and it was a blast to watch you and that that defensive line and that entire defense play, man. But really appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime for sure. Okay, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.